Well, after spending four days in Southern California at California Range Weekend, I was already halfway to Arizona. So I packed up the van and traveled over there. And I think I've decided that uh, Arizona is one of my favorite places to visit with regard to the shooting community. The quality and density of folks out there in the shooting and combative space make it a great place to, to go and connect with people. One of those folks that I got to connect with was Chris Palmer. You might know Chris as 532 Insights on Instagram. Now, I've been following Chris for a while and I've had several sort of conversations with him over time, but never one where I really got to sit down and ask some of the questions that I ask in this particular interview. Chris refers to some of how he responds as rambling, but I actually look at it as more of a well-developed and thoughtful approach to answering the question. So Chris Palmer is a veteran police officer working in the state of Arizona. He's got lots of experience in all kinds of things. We get into that today. If you haven't heard Chris's background, we, we dive into some of the details there. I had some very specific and pointed questions that I wanted to find out about because when I look at him and hear him speak sort of in the platforms that he does, I find him to be very objective. And I wanted to dig down to find out kind of where that objectivity was coming from. And I think Chris did a really good job here in providing that. So sit back, enjoy this episode with Chris Palmer. You know, the older kids taught me a lesson early in life, and that was snitches get stitches. We kids wanted things we said and did in the absence of outside eavesdropping eyes and ears to remain private and secure within our little neighborhood tribe. After all, this information was private, and we were sworn to keep it secure so it didn't get exploited in the wrong hands. Nowadays, my private information has expanded beyond that little group of bike riding marauders and now sits available on all my electronic devices. And that makes me feel pretty uneasy, especially after having my phone and personal accounts hacked and taken advantage of. The reality for you and me is our laptops are never really off. Our phones hold our entire lives, including family and work, and everything from credit cards to passports contain RFID. All of this effectively makes those little items little snitches. And this makes us all vulnerable to having our digital lives stolen. It's time to put a stop to that. And this is where Silent comes in. That's S-L-N-T. Silent offers a range of sleek RFID blocking wallets, EDC Faraday bags, travel gear, laptop sleeves, and key fob cases with the added protection of their patented Silent Pocket Faraday cage technology. This elite signal blocking technology is the easiest way to instantly enhance your peace of mind around how your mobile devices are screwing your digital life up. My personal favorites are the Silent Faraday phone and laptop sleeve. They give me peace of mind by allowing me to completely disconnect from anything incoming and or outgoing, including things that can negatively impact my financial, physical, psychological, and emotional health. So if you're looking for a solution to reclaiming your personal privacy, security, and health, go check out silent.com. That's S-L-N-T.com. You can follow them at GoSilent on Instagram and Twitter, and then use the code IRONSIGHTS at checkout for an exclusive discount. If you listen to the show, you know I'm very particular about what I put into my body. And as I get older, I'm continually challenged to find the right formula for optimizing my vitality. It's work, and I'm happy to do it most of the time. But the old 80-20 principle doesn't work for me anymore. It's more like 95-5, which doesn't leave a lot of room for error or compromise with that kind of ratio. It's something all men need to face as we push that over 30 threshold. One major component is the fact that every year after puberty, HGH, human growth hormone, the master hormone responsible for workout recovery, performance, metabolism, and even libido, it starts to decline. That's where BioPro Plus comes in and why I decided to implement it into my daily routine. 
BioPro Plus is a first-of-its-kind, non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH growth hormone treatments. It's been trusted by physicians for more than a decade, and the best part for me is I get all the benefits of HGH without any of the needles, side effects, or need for a prescription. The BioPro Plus team sends me a 30-day supply, which includes a morning and nighttime liquid formula. I simply hold it under my tongue for about 90 seconds before swallowing it. That vitality I talked about a minute ago, well, here's how that's working out for me. I sleep better. I recover faster. I have a much higher sex drive, and my overall sense of well-being has markedly improved. And this all happened within days, not weeks or months after starting BioPro Plus. Another downstream benefit beyond what I've already mentioned, my body fat continues to drop, and I haven't changed anything in my lifestyle, workouts, or nutrition program since onboarding this stuff. I'm seriously legitimately shocked at how great I feel in such a short amount of time. So if you want to fix the way you perform, look, and feel in the gym, on the mat, in the bedroom, or just during the game of life, go to bioproteintech.com or follow them at bioproteintech. When you get there, use code IRONSIGHTS for $30 off your order. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. Back. To the Iron Sights podcast, I have a very special guest tonight, and I don't know that you need much introduction, man. I'm sure nobody has a clue who I am. Chris Palmer, 532 Insight. How are you, man? I'm well. I have no complaints. Uh, this is like a, this is kind of special for me, a little bit surreal, because um, I, for a long, long time, have wanted to sit down and have a conversation with you, because you're always very good about responding to sort of my inquiries or my my questions sort of online. We've We've, we've texted a few times, actually talked on the phone. I, and I just value your time and your feedback so much. This is, this is a, this is an important one for me. So I just, with, without overdoing it, I just want to say again, I really appreciate your time, taking time out of your busy day and life to be here with me today. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm just doing my thing. Yeah. I get that about you. So the other thing that I know just from my interactions with you is what you see is what you get with you. I've, you know, you're fairly popular sort of on the Instagram, you know, world or whatever. But for those people that may not know about you, um, can we just go through your bio a little bit? Yeah. I mean, because I think people see you and hear you, you know, give feedback and, and add uh, your opinions, which I know you have some very strong ones and you're not afraid to give them, which I really appreciate. Um, but also sort of your, your analysis on certain things. Um, and I don't know that they have all the context behind where that might be coming from. And in the world that we live in, in social media, uh, context can be very important. And <laughs> just in terms of who's actually talking about things, maybe they should or shouldn't be talking about. So you can start and finish wherever you want, man. I think to, like, to start, that's actually kind of the hard part, right? Um, 
Like my friends and I will talk about things. And I think I found in my life that if someone knows what they're talking about, if they're giving an opinion, it doesn't come across as like, I'm telling you this, it's, Hey, this is, you know, this is how I think about it. And this is, these are the reasons why this may or may not be beneficial. And I haven't, I didn't really discover that about myself until maybe five or six years ago when I actually realized I didn't fucking know very much mm. in comparison. And then I also realized I knew I had some good experience that actually meant something in other areas, right? Um, I grew up here in Arizona, uh, joined the Marine Corps, went to high school here, joined the Marine Corps, went over to San Diego in 1994, hung out in the Marine Corps, basically. Um, I'm not some kind of war vet. I don't have any cool stories like that. I got to do some really cool training mm. in the Marine Corps. Like we had a, they did an experiment and they took our battalion and turned it into this little miniature, like, let's see what lower level leadership can handle in smaller teams. Okay. So I got to go over and learn how to call aircraft, got certified as a close air support specialist, but they called us a universal spotter over at Anglico. Hmm. Um, never member of the unit, never jumped, never did anything cool like that, but got to go over there and learn it and then spend months and months and months sitting on the Zulu impact area, just blowing things up. That is calling a, an aircraft as a corporal is, and a sergeant. That's a great experience. It was fun. Man. Yeah. Um, so my Marine Corps career was really about hitting the town, drinking, chasing girls, and then enjoying my time at work. Sounds like it wasn't great. anything stressful or heroic at all. Um, got out of the Marine Corps. My dad was a cop growing up, and I was like, I'm going to do this. This is just what I want to do. You so knew that. I, that's just, I didn't, I didn't want to go to college. I hated school. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any sense in going to college. It wasn't for me. And I don't regret anything in my life, but when I look at it going, oh, that probably would have been a good idea to go to college and get a degree. And after talking to some guys who, um, at work specifically where they work, they're like, you have to have a degree to work here. I'm like, well, that's stupid. And they're like, that's the freaking rules, dude. Right. And I'm like, well, then that makes me stupid. You start to mature as you grow up, mm-hmm. right? Um, got out. I was like, I'm going to be a cop. Came, came home with that is my plan. And absolutely no way to make anything happen or any skills that were useful at all. And I just, I had to work for UPS, which is the worst job I've ever had in my well, life. What were you doing? You loading trucks? Loading or, trucks. Yeah, in the Arizona heat? Yeah, it's terrible. It, but you know what? It wasn't like it was hard work. It just sucked. Yeah. It's, it's like, be here at four in the morning. And it's it's like, if everybody's out there has been a copper in the military and you have like a government job, I think it's something we don't respect about reality mm. in corporate America. They're like, the shift starts at four. And you roll your ass in there at like 410 and they're like, oh, we have to have a meeting. Here's a union rep. <laughs> you're 10 minutes late. And you're like, who gives a shit? We don't start doing anything until 430. Yeah, and they're like, no, that's, that's not how it that's works. That's not here. how it works. Right. But yeah, I worked at UPS for, <coughs> excuse me, um, several months and got picked up by my department. I had three applications in locally, um, got called to one, um, had an oral board interview. And I was like very much Marine Corps, like sitting upright. Mm-hmm. answering questions like I'm doing an oral board for a promotion or something. And they talked to me afterwards. They're like, you're a little too high strung, like a little too up there. Maybe you get some life experience, go to college, do some really? things. Yeah, well, 100%. And they were great guys. And I looked at it like, fuck you, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, and they know exactly what they're talking about. Um, got picked up my department and started the academy. And I've been there since 1999. Got hired in and graduated in 99. Uh, left the Marine Corps in 98, joined the Army Reserves. That was its own abortion. That kind of <laughs> was my journey of learning about uh, not everybody's good at their job. Hmm. Um, 
I didn't want to read and listen to the Marine Corps. They were, it's kind of a weird long story, right? But it kind of explains why I think about stuff. That's exactly why I asked it. Um, I got out of the Marine Corps because I went to the re-enlistment NCO, the, the career NCO. And I said, hey, I want to re-enlist. Mm-hmm. And he's like, awesome. And I said, I want to go to the drill field. And he's like, ah, there's no spots in the drill field. This is 1998. And he says, I said, well, what is there? He goes, well, you can go with the battalion to 29 Palms. I'm like, that's not going to happen. Screw you guys. I'll go talk to the army. Went down to the army and they're like, what do you do? And I showed them like my little certifications and they're like, you could be a forward observer. I'm like, I'll do that. So I came to the guard in Arizona as a forward observer. As a sergeant, I showed up and they had a clue how to use the plugger. And this is back in the day. So they didn't know how the plugger worked. They didn't understand how to set up a radio. They didn't understand how to actually call for fire and what it meant. So I showed up, I'm like, well, let's go to the guard thing or they have a, a trainer mm-hmm. and let's put everybody through it. And then it was just like one of those things where nobody gave a shit about anything. And I was like, this is dumb. And then I got hired by the PD and I was like, I'm done. I'm, right. I'm not going to extend anything. I'm just going to go do the cop stuff. Um, started in patrol, <laughs> excuse me, and had a freaking blast. Like it is the, it was the, and I'm sure it still is for the new guys, the craziest experience of your life. Just hair on fire, chasing anything that ran, any car that ran, any person that ran, chased. And when was this? 99. Got when it. When I started. So I was out there just wreaking havoc. One of my old sergeants, he's awesome. He, I chased a car all through a parking lot, it, just in the parking lot. <laughs> and I called a pursuit and everything. And I was you know, freaking 20, <laughs> From the 20 something years old. And I'm like, I was just this idiot in a parking lot, right? Uh, the, like time the, of your life. The food city down on the uh, south side. And he's like, <laughs> You know, the guy stops and I grab him out of the car and I hook him up, throw him in my car. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to do with this. And he showed up and he's like, Chris, what did I tell you about chasing cars? <laughs> he said, you know, told me not chase him. He's like, okay. And he walks off. And I'm like, Roger that. Right. Right? All right. Got right. you. I will not do that again that way. I now I'm trying to learn how to navigate this. What can I do? Um, I was in patrol for three years. I uh, worked out in the West Valley. Um. It was pretty cool. But I knew, I was like, I don't want to do this forever. They, these dudes are doing cool stuff. Like, that looks like a fun job. So we had a net team. Yep. And originally, it was like bike and walking beat and all that stuff. But we had a neighborhood enforcement team that rode bikes and went playing clothes and picked up hookers and bought crack and did all sorts of stuff. Ran CIs. I was like, that's pretty cool. I want to do that. Um, and that's where everybody tells you, like, you don't have a chance of doing that. You've only been on two years and like nine months. You right. have to be on three years. And they've, they're not taking you. I got lucky. I tested and like the end of the testing process was right at my three-year mark. And I came out on the list and they took me to the net squad. And that's when I actually learned way more. Like our view of everything, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, is like you become a cop, you go to patrol and you start, you think you're like, you think you're learning a lot, but you don't realize how myopic and small your view is to your little beat in your Mm. little tiny precinct. Mm. Like this is your world. You know, you have 10 miles of road, like our city's large and we have big precincts, but it's still, t- it's small when you think about the size of the overall city. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get to net, they're like, yeah, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Just put some jeans on. Here's what we're going to do. And like, here's a list of guys that have felony warrants. We're going to go knock on their doors and find them and then arrest them and then book them. And I was like, all right, I don't know any better. And the senior guys are like, this is what we do. You knock on the door. Is John here? Yeah, he's in the back. Can he come here? And he would come up and he would put him in handcuffs and take him away for his warrant. Or he'd run out the back right. and the guys in the back would grab him. Whatever. It would get it's exciting. Simple. Yeah. Um, you know, running CIs, buying dope, picking up a lot of prostitution. We had a lot of child prostitution back in the day. 
Um, really? So we would go out there and interview people and pick up, uh, about to use a bad word, but pick up prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like part of a lesson is you, longer you're a cop, longer you do anything, you start to realize like not everybody's a bad guy, mm. right? Even the bad guys aren't all bad guys. So that I think is a hard lesson for young guys to learn. Explain that. What do you mean? So there's like felonious shithead predators mm-hmm. out there. Those are bad guys. Like the soccer mom driving into work who's speeding, not a bad guy, right? The guy selling dope, everybody's like, bad guy. Yeah, a lot of times they're also a felonious predator. But there's other people who are just terrible at making decisions. They're basically an idiot. Mm-hmm. And this is all they know how to do since they were a kid. Mm-hmm. So are they really like evil? I don't know. They're like, you sell dope, you're evil. Well, you do dope, you're like, like it's just right. this big circular argument of bullshit that we do. Yep. But like that's I just learned that like just because someone's committed a crime does not make them a bad guy. I don't think there's a damn person that's ever going to listen to this podcast who doesn't speed. I speed. We all speed. Crime. Among other things. You're a felon. You're a terrible person then. Right? Lying, cheating, stealing, all the things you've done in your life. Um, Nobody's nobody's the perfect, innocent person. Um, So not everybody's bad. So not everybody needs that original way you're kind of taught like, officer safety and everybody's a suspect well yeah but you don't have to like live your life on edge all the time mm-hmm. and be an asshole to people right like just do your thing like unemotional like i'm here to do this you know and realize that we tell like young guys now like you're going to the you're going to go to the 800th call of bullshit you know in the first couple of years like you're just like i'm sick of this it's stupid who gives a shit i hear that a lot and you're doing that. like who gives a shit but it's that that person that's a big freaking deal the, the worst, it's part. the worst day of their life it's or freaking, whatever. And then if you, you don't have to pat them on the head and fake it, but like a little bit of empathy, just a little bit can Goes go a long, long way. way. It, yeah. it can be helpful. I'm just rambling. I do this. No, you're not. No, um, I get it. So like going to net was like learning like all wow, that, those things, all those, like there's more to police work. Like I wasn't just this robotic going from call to call to call. I don't care. Chase that guy, grab him, do this and that. The law, right? You broke the law, I'm going to get you. Um, it opened my eyes up to like the rest of the city too. Like learning about, we had, I didn't know we had different radios. I didn't know this precinct did things a different way. I didn't know anything. Mm. Um, I didn't realize what the city looked like outside of my, however many square miles. Your district was. District, well, like the precinct. Um, and then you start heading to different places and you're like, well, this place is nice. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going over to this other precinct to eat. Why? Because this place sucks. So we go over there and you're like, well, it's like normal people here eating. Right, right. You know, it's not all crime ridden, crazy, crazy town. Um, but I did net, I did that for three years, um, was successful, like had fun, had some cool cases, like catching guys who were back in the day when meth labs were going, guys were using anhydrous ammonia and they were breaking into a chemical storage facility and stealing little thermoses of anhydrous ammonia mm-hmm. and then getting on the bus and driving to wherever they were going to cook it with. It's its own method, right? It's they were going, getting on the bus. Oh yeah, get on the bus with it and you just burp it every once in a while so it doesn't, you know, blow up. It's like liquid ammonia i know what like, that's yeah, like yeah anhydrous is bad, it's bad. so like, like that dude like you know i'm like i said i'm rambling we caught one dude and he took off running through the cooler and it hit the ground it was this giant <laughs> cloud and we ran through the edge of it and in my eyes were oh, burnt. Yeah. everything sucked we we're like this is a dumb idea and we got yelled at for it like what are you doing that wasn't the time our sergeant at the time had come from the swat team and he had a plan and we were like fuck your plan like that's like the, the guys dude. on the run yeah. get him yeah. and it you know but so I you learned i learned and there's a reason for like there's a plan Stick to the plan unless it all falls apart and then just adjust, mm-hmm. right? Don't go off on your own. Mm-hmm. 
Um, especially when you literally don't know shit. Don't start adapting the plan before it's even happened. Um, but I tested for uh, SAU, our, our special assignment unit, our SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Uh, was seven years on and made it over there. Um, that's another fluke. Because everybody's like, you need to go to, that's a good place to start, but you need to get to gangs. And then you need to get to street crimes and learn how to do all the UC work. You need to learn how to write your own warrants, which we did on that. We'd write our own search warrants and then they would serve them. Okay. Um, but they're like, you need to do all these things before you go there. They won't take you. You need more experience. Okay. I'm going to time you out for just a second. So is that really true? Or is it just that you were doing the right things and the guys that were telling you that maybe didn't do the right things and had to go back and do them to then get on? I mean, you know what I'm, maybe I'm not asking the question right. I think I remember like, were they not capable? Of the, yeah. It? It, yes. It's just a perception because maybe they're not, they're not capable. It of was a, it. it was a perception based in reality because at the time, most of that unit was over 40 years old. Okay. Late thirties, over forty, okay. and had been on almost fifteen years, or more, more, many more than that. But you didn't get over there until you had like 10, okay. 12, 13 years on. Okay, um, and fifteen year guys were booters over there. Got it. So, and this was seven years in for you. Yeah. So you're only half the time, right? Got it. So I wasn't special, but I was the shoe. I was the shoe that fit at the time. They're like, we'll take him. Got it. Um, and I did well. I had fun. I had a lot of growing pains, and again, then even more realized you don't know anything right yeah, you're starting all over you again. just don't you have your idea of what this is you have this feeling of what it is and it seems cool and sexy and now they're like here's a car we're going to give you a car and all the gas you don't have to do anything unless we ask you to go do something you can work out go eat this is a full-time team full yeah, yeah you just do ubu make sure you're practicing stay good and we'll call you if we need you um, unless there was training or something else hmm. and that's just supposed to be a bio but i threw it we're just kind of wrapping through it no 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 you're you're hitting all the points, man. I mean, so uh, the question I was going to ask is with regard to the, the, the young guy, let's say seven years in. So I'm going to guess you're, you're not quite 30 yet at that point. I wasn't, I think, uh, cause I was 24 when I got on, oh, okay, I was 30 so something maybe, years old. So yeah. Man. So you're okay. So early thirties at this point and guys were almost 40, right? Hindsight now looking back, going back to the young guy going through growing pains. Would the older guy still have the same old growing pains? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's these are just growing pains you're gonna have, like it because you don't know what you don't know, and this is right. all very, very. New. It's a natural progression. Even if you attempt and you had been in street crimes, you've done those things, and you spent a lot of time around yeah. the team, you're still not a member of it. You will never know what goes on. You'll see them do things, and you'll see the way they they approach a building. You'll be like, I can do that. I can do that. And it's like, yeah, you can walk from there to here. But why are you doing it that way? Why Why is that guy peeling off and going over here? And what's he even looking at? Right. Like trying to explain that to guys like, hey, when you walk, when you go up to the house, what are you looking at? I'm like, well, I'm looking at the roof line for fence. I can start reading the inside of the structure that way based on where yeah. those are at, knowing our environment, right? I'm looking at the way the yard's set up. Is it super filthy? Is it have this? What problems am I going to have at the breach point? I'm looking at the cars in the driveway and down the street or neighbors out. I'm looking at all these things, lights on in the windows if it's at night. If we're on nods looking for, you know, those IR glows from security, we're looking at all sorts of stuff, but that's not something you observe. You, you just see people walking up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like being in the house for the first time, I was on the unit for three months ish, three or four months. I was still brand new. They wouldn't let me have a rifle yet. I had to have just my handgun, which has since changed. That doesn't make any sense, but that's the way it was. And you had to kind of earn it. Okay, yeah. Right? I, but, I kind of understand it, but you're right. It doesn't make sense. So we had a hostage rescue. We had a guy break in. He had 
a girl to an old lady and a younger girl hostage in a bedroom. Um, and they're like, that was my first call out to one of those, uh, a hostage rescue. And I show up and even my boss, I could tell he's like, fuck. He's like, all right, you're going to be here. You're going to do this. And he had me with one of the more senior guys, but still treated as a young guy. And, and Hector at that time was in his forties and had been on the team for like 10 years. Um, and he's like, he's standing there with a less lethal launcher and a shield. And I'm his lethal cover with a pistol. With a pistol. Yeah. And Hector's like, are you good? I'm like, yeah. And we know each other. And he's, he was good to me. He's like, can you make a headshot right there at the end of the hallway? And I'm like, yeah. No. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, fuck yeah, I can. Yeah, of course. Of course I can. I'm yeah. like, and in my head, I'm like, yeah, I can. I just bullshit false confidence of what my capabilities were at that time. Like, I mean, I was a good pistol shooter. Huh. But boy was i full of shit right? right i was so full of shit but we that thing kicked off um we breached the wall and we killed that guy or we had to we had to shoot him mm. he grabbed the girl pulled her in the in the closet he's yeah. armed and that's how that had to end but that was my first one and now i'm sitting there afterwards in the van you know the mac van and the, with the guys mm. and the homicide detectives are doing their thing and this is the first time i've ever gone through any of this mm. and i'm like that's freaking awesome yeah like, I'm on the fucking SWAT You're on team. The SWAT team. Yeah. I'm a freaking SWAT guy. Right. I didn't do shit. I made entry into the room, grabbed the old lady, and pulled her out with the other dudes, and it was, that was it. That, that was, was my it. involvement in that stood thing. The, yeah, you stood there with her over, uh, uh, overconfident and whatever, and everything yeah, worked and out. It, everything worked out. I the was way completely was full of shit. Right. Right. Like guys did a great job. I was just there for that ride. But you learned. You learned. I you learned, learned a ton. Yeah. And it's like, man, this is a trip. And then we, you know, more and more and more things would happen. And the more you got used to, it, like being in this room we're in for six hours while an event is happening on the other side of that wall in that room and being ready to make entry is something I don't think anyone's prepared for. Mm. And eventually it turns into the most boring time of your life. Yeah. The first time you're like, Oh shit, man. Right. It's like uh, the princess gate movie um, where the SAS hits the embassy Mm -hmm. and they're stacked up at the door and everybody's waiting there. And they're like breathing gas. It's like, here we go. Here we go. And they're like, stand down. And you're like, fuck. Yeah. All right. But like that, and those first few times, you're like, all right, here it goes. And eventually, unfortunately, it turns into this like, oh, my it's, God, we're going to be sitting flat. here freaking ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, whatever. Talk to him. So, so how long are you on the SWAT team for? 13 years. Okay. So that's, that's a long time in a big city with a lot going on. I had a couple questions for you. So that was your first incident on, this, on the SWAT team. Did you ever have any incidents like OIS involvement prior to that? No. So this is the first time and you're already, I'd been on, Oh, I've been arrived at OISs and, and present for one. That's just you showing up to what happened. was a shooting. It was already yeah. in the past. Never right. been like present in the moment. So this is the first or time. involved in one myself at that time. Seven years in. Yep. You go 13 more years. How many incidents after that? Oh, let's just say, how many incidents were you involved in, like at the time shootings happening after? Over 20. Over 20. At the place, at the spot, in the room, there, at the event. Yeah, on a, on, not necessarily even on hot, like that. Like we, I've done thousands of search warrants, mm-hmm. thousands, um, hundreds and hundreds of barricades, 13 hostage rescues, um, dr- street jumps on felons, street jumps like mobile kidnapped guy in the car jumping a car and doing a rescue in a vehicle those we've had those turn into shootings and not shootings we've had the most badass guy on the planet you're like we're going to kill this guy 
There, this is this dude is the one percenter. He is mm. the tip of the bad guy spear. Mm. We're going to get in a shooting with him, and that dude will come out with his hands up. And I made a joke on a search warrant once. They're like, this dude is a Mexican mafia enforcer. He's this, he's that. He's the baddest guy in the world. And I made a joke in the briefing. We're sitting there waiting to go. And I, and I literally said this in the briefing. I'm like, you're going to skin that smoke wagon or stand there and bleed. I'm like, <laughs> screw this guy. He ain't going to do shit. Right. And as soon as we put the pick in the door to breach it, he started shooting out the door at us. Mm. And we're like, oh, don't, don't discount him. Right. Don't mitigate. <laughs> don't minimize someone else's violence potential, but don't minimize someone's lack of it. Right. Apparent lack don't violence underestimate. potential. That's one of the greatest lessons my dad ever taught me is don't ever underestimate don't, anybody ever. Because they'll show you yeah. really quick. <laughs> You'll get a big fat piece and that of dude, humble pie. When that, we pulled the security screen. He's shooting. We breached the interior door and he stopped shooting after the door opened. And he was, I'm not kidding, standing there dual wielding 1911s on the other side of a Miss Pac-Man it's like, machine. like a movie. <laughs> it's, it's like, like a, a Tarantino movie. And people are like, he's full of shit. And I'm like, no, this happened. And my the point guy's there and he's yelling at him to drop the guns. And I'm like, shoot this dude. Right. And I threw a flashbang at his head and he fell down on the ground and gave up. So the, the, where I was going with this is, okay, so over Sorry. 20 incidences <laughs> and I'm glad you just brought that up. So then we just escalated this to not only were you there at an incident, but you're actually being shot at. Yeah. How many times have you been shot at? I don't, I don't know the total times, but several, like mostly through the walls on those incidents where the bullets start coming through the walls and you're like, I guess we're going and you're going down the hallway and the microwave's blowing up. It was crazy. More than three. Yeah. More than six. How many times did we get shot at? I, I mean, I'm, yeah, like, I'm just like, I'm, like that's one. This is the contextual one. stuff I, I mentioned at the beginning that I'm trying to get to because I don't know. I just, I'm not asking a question. I th- think I know the answer to. I'm I just think five asking. or six. Maybe. Okay. So like, five or six times you've been shot at, right? Yeah, how me, many, like directly at. Ever been hit? Yeah. Can we talk about that? Sure. What happened? So that's a, that's a good one to talk about because there's different views of it. And this is kind of, it's a police cultural view where some of the guys were like, you shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And other guys are like, absolutely. That's why I'm asking because it leads to another question later. Um, So the dude, he was a felon, wanted for cheesy felony stuff. Uh, One of the the net teams at the time was like, we know where he's at. We're going to find him, follow him and arrest him. Mm -hmm. So they followed him to a location. They're setting up on him. He gets, spots them at a restaurant drive-thru sees him and he's like this ain't happening so he floors it and starts firing out of his truck at him and they return fire and then it was a big pursuit so excuse me um they go to arrest him he's like he refuses to be arrested takes off big surprise he they chase him um 100 like go get him so they're in a uh, marked a patrol pursuit of this guy we get notified of it we're listening i'm like well, let's go to that so we start heading up the freeway intercept the kind of get ahead of them and intercept that police pursuit and then take it over for what we would call like attack surveillance. Like we are taking it over with aircraft support okay. and unmarks. And then everybody else needs to push out sounds, and start containing. Sounds like the, the best kind of situation that could happen, right? It's yeah. It's, you got all the resources, you've got plenty of communication. It's some, it's not chaos. Got all guys that work together going after or, or trying to tackle. A, a I think that would be set. the intent. Right. The intent is like, this is mobile. This is dangerous. Get him to stop. Okay. Like, you know, how, not by whatever means necessary, but hopefully he just stops the car and chooses his vote is that I'm no longer going to be felonious. And he deescalates the situation on his own, mm-hmm. but he continued doing what he was doing. Um, we eventually got one tire popped on and this is a very big lifted truck. 
We got one tire popped on it and I'm behind him about a quarter mile, half mile. I see that here, hey, I got, I'm pretty sure I got one. So I punch it and I start catching up to him as he pulls up to a red light with a bunch of cars sitting at it. And I'm like, he's going to carjack somebody. He's going to do this and that. These are the decision processes he's probably going to go through. I'm ready to deal with it in this way. I have my, not plan, but these are the reactions I'm going to do to whatever he does. Mm -hmm. If he stays in the cars, goes mobile, I'll continue that. If he gets out and tries to carjack somebody, I will confront him. And whatever that ends up being is going to be his vote, right? Um, As I'm pulling up, he has the door cracked open. So this is where everybody's like, we should have stopped up on a felony stop, but he's in traffic with other cars. So he's got the door cracked open. He's leaning backwards like this. And I didn't realize that until I pulled right up into him and I'm being shot at. Through, he's, through the windshield. Through the windshield. Okay. So he's leaned over like this. And as I'm approaching, he fires a shot. I have no idea where that went. Didn't hit my car. And, and uh, I assume lifted truck. So he's up and has the advantage. He's shooting down. Yeah, I'm in a Dodge Ram. Okay. So I had a Dodge pickup truck too, okay. but not lifted. So I'm still okay. below him. He's like an F-350. Just trying to understand the scenario, yeah. yeah. Um, but he has the door open. He fires the first shot. I'm like, I don't, right. wherever that went. But now I'm like, oh, he's shooting at me. Like this guy wants to play. And I've rewound it a million times. Like, I, I could have done this. I could have just floored it right into the side of him, which mm-hmm. probably would have been more epic and cool. But I grabbed my rifle, and I'm literally pulling up like this, because I expected, I'm pulling up slow, and I'm expecting the light to turn green, and he's going to start driving. He's not off. out of the truck yet. I'm like, oh, he might drive. Well, he, instead of, as the traffic starts to leave, is right when I'm coming up, so it goes green. The traffic starts to pull. I'm like, what's he going to do? And he fires that shot. Okay, so it's all... It's cut, you're kind of in this weird no man's land. Right. Yeah, I got it. Great. If he had pulled over, no one's around, I can stop back here and we can deal with it. Okay. But it, it was just, a, I, that's the decision I went with in the time. Sure. So that first shot goes, I'm like, nah, you're not allowed to do that. So I grab my carbine and I've got it up here in the dash. And then he starts shooting some more. So I just, instead of hitting his car, instead of doing anything else, the decision I went with at the time was put my foot on the brake and pull right up next to him and shoot him. So I'm pulling up to his his open driver's door. You're like door. idling. Yeah, I'm just, I'm coasting. I'm, yeah, you're, I'm you're, on the brake. I'm, okay, slow, gotcha. I'm basically slowing down to slow, slow up right next to him. Okay. But I take my hand off the wheel, I grab my carbine, and I start shooting at him through the windshield, through the crack in his door. And then one round went down my arm and hit me in the armpit. Wow. And it actually hit the antenna of my radio, radio. in my vest, in my jump vest. So it actually hit the antenna through the windshield, down my shirt sleeve. It's got like, couple holes in it where it kind of went in and Wait, out. Wait, it didn't hit you. No, it hit no, me. It didn't penetrate didn't your penetrate, arm? No, went didn't down the shirt sleeve, arm. down the arm, penetrate the, through the sleeve. I'm on my carbine shooting it. It went through my sleeve. What? And hit the antenna in my vest and then... That deflected. Punch, it. No, it punched. I mean, it. it's a nasty bruise in a hole, but it didn't go into my lungs, basically. Wow. How's it get past your arm? like that it's just missed I mean, that's just the way anything is yeah, that's it's just right. that's I how it happens that's, that's just the universe right holy cow uh i assume you put rounds on him and i hit him ended. um he fell back into the car um i think i blew his finger off that was below the trigger i hit the actual trigger guard of the 1911 and that wasn't for some marksmanship stuff because my face i'm my visual intent was focused i could see the gun in his hand that's what i was looking at and the unfortunate part is the windshield, the bullets are going to do whatever they're, do, they're, they're doing. doing they're hitting out. his truck. But once I, I'm shooting through my windshield trying to hit him because we're coming mm-hmm. like this. So the point is changing as I get to it. And by the time I stop, now he's right through the right side of my windshield. 
and I'm firing, he shuts the door and I'm like, boop, 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 boop. I'm trying to burn a hole through the door right. and hit him. And then he stopped shooting. So I'm like, I should get out of my truck. Mm-hmm. So I bounce out of my truck and I go to the front of my truck and I'm pointing it at this black tinted window. You have no idea. And I go, this is on. a stupid place to be. So I bop to the back of my car and everybody else is pulling up. My partner had already pulled up to the rear and fired around through the back of the windshield. It missed. Um, or he was already down. It didn't hit him. I should say. Gotcha. Didn't hit, it didn't hit him. Um, I got back. My boss was pulling up and I told him, Hey, I got hit. And he's like, go to the back and get, you know, get out of here and get that checked. And I'm like, this hurts like this. Like I was, I knew I was like, I don't want to chance this. Cause it, I mean, it hurt, but it was like, I'm okay. Right. But then I was like, but what if I'm not okay? What if I'm like, next thing I know I'm freaking right. I had no clue. I mean, it hurt. It was a, it was a 45 man stopper. Right. <laughs> um, but two, it, two world wars, man, two world wars, but it, <laughs> got me right here in the armpit and i was like oh that hurts and i went over and one of the canines grabbed me he's like yeah there's blood and there's a hole in your shirt there's a hole right here in okay. the kind of the mesh material of your you know the mm-hmm. outer so he's like yeah there's blood there and i'm like all right so we're he opens my vest up and he grabs the bullet hole which i'm sure didn't make you know the investigators hop and he goes rip and he rips it open like that and he goes i don't know if it went in he goes you know it's bleeding but i don't know if it went in i'm like well i'm good so put my vest back together and headed back up to the truck. And he had, uh, decided he was like, I think I'm going to die because he had got him in the leg and through everything, you know, some mm. other spots. And he falls out of the truck. We used a canine to go up and retrieve him mm. and pull him back. And then our guys put a tourniquet on his leg. Cause he had a hole through his thigh. Mm. They put a tourniquet on his leg and saved his life, which is, that's the name of the game. Yeah. That's ultimately what you'd like to see happen. I think. Wow. That's pretty harrowing, man. So wait, how does that end for you? Like at some point you got to go get stitched up. Well, I got to go to the hospital. Right. I mean, you, it's like not, it's not a, you don't get to go, nah, I'm cool. Yeah. That's what I mean. So they said, yeah, you need to go to the hospital. They oh, took, oh they, I got to go to the hospital. Yeah, okay. So they, yeah, okay. But that's, you know, fire. That's funny. They're like, you need to lay down on the stretcher. I'm not laying on the fucking stretcher. Put it in the back and I'll get on it. They're like, we can't like you have just lay down, please. <laughs> right. So it's like, fine. And there's like, you know, his cameras getting people are setting stuff up right, over right, there, right. and I'm like, I lay there. down on my stretcher like right. a bitch. But you know, like, just please lay down. I'm like, all right. So I let you know, That's I get on it, and they put me in the back. And one of my buddies jumped in, and um, yeah, I had to go to the hospital, x-rays and stuff. They're like, we need to keep you overnight. There's some problems in there, some right. bruising that is you know towards your lung. We don't want to take a chance on that. So the next day, they check some stuff, and they're like, how do you feel? And I'm like, it hurts. Um, but I'm good. Can I go home? And they're right. like, yeah, you can go home, but here's, here's some stuff you should think about. You know, if you have any problems, come back in and check. And that just turned into like a big old sack, like hematoma. Mm-hmm. The whole side was just this big old blob. The, I mean, like I said, that's a pretty harrowing story. Again, I think it gives a lot of context to what the, th- the things I hear you talking about a lot, you know, sort of socially with regard to shooting, shoot uh, officer involved shootings how to handle yourself in certain situations what really happens you know when things go down and there's a lot of i think make believe that we see happening and people are concocting certain certain situations and then there's always the armchair quarterbacking you know these these incidents and i and i i don't you know with the, with the body cam footage and everything else that's out there i don't i think that that armchair quarterbacking is actually a negative term. And we have to look at these things. We have to, absolutely. we have to look at these things to learn and study and, and move forward on. Um, and I, I think that's, well, it's become popular to do that. And I, I, 
I think some people handle it really well. And I think others are, you know, people just want to have an opinion, you know, and they also want to have the term context. Like, well, what's the, what's right there in front of you. That's just look at what's happening there. Well, we don't know. Yeah. But for the time that that happened, we do know. So I don't want to get too far in the weeds here. I guess my point is, is there is, there's training theory and then there's practical application and then there's what actually happens in the practical application. And I heard you say over 20 incidents, you've been shot at at least a, a few times, right? Five, six, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's happened. Um, and you've already just covered at least one of those times you had to shoot back. So you've already covered a lot of things. A lot of people don't ever or won't ever experience as a law enforcement officer and, and trying to compare those incidents to any other incident is to me, it's kind of, to me, maybe this is insulting is dumb because none, none of them are the same. No, they're, and I think that gets lost on people too. Cause it, that, like what I just described can be looked at. Well, you're, you're just taking your one incident and trying to apply what you should do to it. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm just telling you what did happen. And then the maturity part comes in going, looking back. And what I don't think we should do is second guess ourselves and go, if I had done this, this would have turned out this way. You have no idea. You don't know what it was going to be. I just know, I can tell you what I did and what the results were. Right. And I can tell you all of the other options I had at that time that I chose not to do because I, this is what I just decided to do. Had I just said, fuck it, whoop, floored it and hit him. He couldn't have shot me with an open crack in the door. And had that opening, yeah, he could have shot through the windshields, but now he's impeding his bullets and causing all kinds of other problems. So it might have worked out, but right as I jump out of the car and go to the hood, he gets one through the glass, hits me in the face. Who knows? Right. Right? But like when I talk about vehicle stuff, or when I talk about like, what are you going to do in a shooting? How, what are the decisions you're going to make? I'm trying to base it off the, the experiences I've had, not that they're right or wrong, but like this is what did happen. And then the interviews I've had and the, the discussions I've had with officers at my place of work and then saying, you know what, that matches up. And seeing things in them or hearing them say things where they're like, I need to get better at shooting. And Matt and I have talked about it. I think you've heard us talk about it before. It's like, right. there's, a, there's a tremendous amount of overwhelming feeling of luck where guys are like, man, I, I know I got lucky in that. Yeah, you did. But that's still cool, right? Yes, It worked you, out. Yeah. It, technically, you got lucky or did you? Like, were you good enough at that time? Good enough. Right? right. Were you good enough at that time? And that's all that, that's all that was required. At I know you time. want to be better. And that's a good thing. But in that moment, you were good enough to survive that and win technically, right? And the win part we can get into is a whole different thing. Right. Just what, getting, what counts. Yeah, what what really counts. But I go, I go down rabbit holes, man. I just start talking about things. So it's good. No, we're I'm supposed asking, to be doing a bio. I'm asking the question. No, this <laughs> yeah. is part of the bio. I mean, it's it's who you are. And again, it, it gives context to, to so many things. But it, it, and to that point, I think part of the and just kind of maybe leading you through the bio you go through all of this and that also that puts you in a in a position i think you just alluded to this to be reviewing all of these incidents that happen out there in a city that has how many officer involved shootings a year it, it'll range from 15 to 40 something all right so that's a pretty big that's a pretty big spread but Nonetheless, that's a lot of things to look at. That's a lot of data. That is a lot of video footage. That is a lot of conversations and interviews. And I think, like, to be very clear about, like, what you said, like, being through those situations, applying training and learning from them, specifically my own, doesn't qualify me to do any of that. Right. I got you. It's, I now, I have a baseline of knowledge and I've had a lot more, I've had the ability to have experiences and go to training. And then afterwards, I've gone to other training and realized how much I didn't know. 
So I've, start, I've, I've taken it upon myself. The department's been really cool about letting me go to things where it's like, I want to go learn about this. We started pulling force science in, not because we like, we need an answer to anything, but like, hey, they say they have an, an answer, an explanation as to why things occur. Let's see if that applies to us. Let's mm-hmm. see if it mashes, you know, mashes up and matches what we're getting in our interviews with people. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a live the other night. We were talking about like the information you get from force science, the information you get from training, all these things you get. Trying to apply them as an antidote to something not coming out bad is the wrong way to look at it. All that stuff does is ex- help you explain why things may occur. Maybe this is why this happened that way. And like, you know, you'll have people tell you, you're not going to see your sights in a gunfight. And I was just listening to JBS. And I'm like, no, you're not going to see your guns at, sights in a gunfight. I've seen mine every single time. Hmm. Right. And you're in a gunfight. You're going to, you're going to do this. No, you're not like you might. And other people may, but there are also other people who it don't. Might not. Yeah. It might not. And I've had discussions with four science guys on breaks. And when I went back to Connecticut, just kind of like asking people questions like, when you get this data, how do you present it? And they're very honest. Like, no, we're just explaining these are the baselines. These are the things that occur. And I say, do you think someone with more training, because you're saying that it requires this. You have, you know, this reaction time. The, the outcome requires yes. this. The, the desired outcome. <laughs> and I'm saying that if someone is trained to a higher level, has more experience, that those things may not apply to them. And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, well, then, so this is baseline information. It's a helpful explanation as to why things occur. It's not saying that this happened to this guy because of this. Mm. It just might be an antidote. He may have things going on at home. He may be, he may have had no clue and his entire dispatch priming, everything he heard about going up to that call, while it may look similar to one that happened over here in Milwaukee or in Florida, the call is completely different. The guy that had this one happen was confronting that guy for 45 seconds before the gun appeared. This guy arrived on the scene and was shot at before. In port point four or five seconds. Yeah, same yeah. distance, right. same this and that. This guy had this these experiences in his life. This guy has these experiences. He's got a year on, but he was in the army and all these other things before. This guy was on it for a year and he just got out of college. And had, this is the first, the academy was the first time he ever touched the gun. So yes, I realize the baseline human thing is you could you have averages just like your blood level sure. things there's there's a zone right. right some people are up here and some people are up down here not because they're sick or healthy but because that's where their that's body where is are. right yeah. um and that's the same yeah. thing i think i look at with performance those are just they're not hard and fast rules it's a guideline um i don't know i just went down a weird rabbit Better. hole of but that's why like i'm saying i'm not an expert like where i'm oh yeah because i've been in a shooting i can talk about shootings no, I'm not saying that. I know, I know, yeah. but I mean, I want to make it clear to everybody else that that's not that's how, not how you feel myself. about it, yeah, yeah. Or, or view yourself. No, I get that. I the I, going back to the very beginning when we opened up, it was about what what you made. You may mention something there about like if you're you 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 can tell if somebody knows what they're talking about because they'll talk about things with a certain level of knowledge. I forget how you phrased it. Um, I don't know. We'd have to roll back the tape. It just, it just stuck with me there that it was something along the lines of, you don't feel like you have to give a resume or a bio, like, or, yeah, have, I don't, or have to have all of that underneath the explanation that you're giving or the rationale that you might be providing to a specific question. Yeah. I don't think, well, I think my experience and the things I've done can lend credibility to what I'll say to yep. some people. They can remove credibility from yeah, others. Right. But <clears throat> 
I'm giving you stuff and I'm not trying to like, I don't know. I think when people talk, you can just tell they're, they're talking out of their ass or they're just telling you what you, what they think. I don't see why if I'm trying to teach a recruit and talk to them about grip, like this is what we want to have happen. How, how does this feel? Do this, try this. What are you feeling? And they, once they get it, I didn't teach them anything. I didn't, I just helped them develop through through their own process, process. but I don't need to go, look, I've been in a shooting. I've been in these many shootings and this is why you have to listen to me. I was, I was on the SWAT team for 13 years. You got to listen to me. That doesn't make any sense. Who gives a shit where you're at? Matt, Matt said, or reference Matt and Ben, the guys like, that's who you used to be. Like, what do you do now that you're trying to teach me? Why is that? Why is what you did important? Okay, cool. It lends to this. That doesn't have anything to do with this. I I think that's where I was going with all of this is because I think a lot of people will try and put that or looking for that answer to to connect that dot. Like, well, he, why is he talking about this? He shouldn't be talking about this because of this, or he can't talk about this because he didn't do that, whatever. And I just, again, I think what we're talking about is the learning experience and the process of the journey through understanding why you're confident talking about certain things, but there's also this pretext to, but it's not because I've done all of this other stuff. It's just what I've learned along the way through all of these, these experiences. Um, and the experience now, you just mentioned like the recruit and teaching recruit to shoot. That's what you're doing now sort of from a department perspective is working as an instructor. Yeah, Can it's you, my full-time. Yeah, talk about that real quick. So it's full-time, full-time I, in the schoolhouse. Yeah, and we can get into this later, but like at 13 and a half-ish years, whatever it was that I was on the team, I was done. Like I was mentally done. I was angry all the time, frustrated and bored out of my ass. Like, come on, why are we doing this stupid shit again? We should be doing this. I had all the answers, right? I was just like a grumpy individual. Um, Like seven years in, I remember that's when I got to that, like a seven year itch phase too. Like, why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it this way? Because it would change as new commands came in, the feel of it would change, but the original OG culture was still there. So it's like, why, why are we changing this? And it would slowly develop and you get used to it. And it seemed like it was working okay. And we were doing actually a really good job and actually getting better, but it just wasn't the way it was when I got here. Mm. But then you're like, all right, this is better. Um, I have to tell this in two parts. So like seven ish years on the team, I was on a senior team, a senior squad, a lot of senior guys. And it was just, I, I finally, we had a bunch of new guys come up and like, I'm talking four years on three years on five, six years on come over and they were like, put them over there. And they had a whole nother squad of just new guys, basically with one guy that had been there like four or five years. And everybody was like, fuck those guys. They don't know what they're doing. But then I would watch them train and watch them perform. And they were just outpacing everybody. Hmm. They wanted to shoot. They wanted to go fast. They wanted to be accurate. They, all they gave a shit about was being good at their job. Better. Mm-hmm. And they were impressive, legitimately impressive where I had to step back and go, they're all better than I am. Like they're all better at shooting than I am. Yeah, I have more experience doing this. And like, if it comes to, we show up at the house and putting a plan together for it, I have more experience doing it. But once it comes time to go do the job, these guys are probably going to do it better than me. Hmm. You know, and they're only seven, eight, 10 years younger than me at the time, whatever it was. And I'm like, fuck. So I left my cushy day job and went to the night shift squad. So we're- What do you mean cushy day job? Like that, the, the team that just ran yeah, the day. Just, okay. Gotcha. It was like you, okay. work out in the morning. Hey, what are we going to do? Everybody's showered up we're sitting here. Let's go to wherever and get tacos. So we would drive down to as far as we wanted to go, where we wanted to go. We'd eat. We would come back over here. If we had a warrant, we'd go dress out, do the warrant. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go do whatever we want. It was just like, everybody was off to the winds. 
these guys are going to work out, do their thing. Then they're heading down to the shoot house to do runs because they're like, we need to get better at this. But they didn't have anyone to show them like what is better. So that's where the, 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 all the idea fairies came from, right? The reinventions and the idea fairies. Oh, gotcha. Saw this on the internet. Um, they just wanted to try them out. But for everybody else, it was like, you're just stupid. Don't worry about that stuff. It's dumb. And they're like, we just want to try it. Like, why can't we try it? So I went down to them and I didn't mentor them. I didn't do anything special. I just came in and said, I want to learn how to do what you're doing. Mm. Let's go compete in matches. Get your ass kicked. Handed to you. SWAT guy. Murdered. Um, getting in the shoot house and then being able to show them some things like, well, what about this and that? And they would do something. And you're like, we need to try that. That method of approach. That doing it that way seems like it's going to make sense. Let's start trying it. Mm-hmm. And just being a, a part of that team. And it was a very tight group. Um, and we rock and rolled. I think we were awesome. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that, but that's where I went with like that part of it was like the itch part. Like how yeah, long was I on that, the team? That's where I was going. Yeah. 13 years. Um, I was like, I'm done. Um, some stuff happened there with one of my buddies get removed. <clears throat> Politics got involved. You can't do this anymore. You need to do it this way. Oh my God. You know, the, all these things are happening. That's not what we want. It looks bad politically. That's how I felt about it. Right. Because a lot of change I don't think that's coming. an uncommon tale. Like I hear that quite frequently. Just sort of, it's almost like that's probably inevitable. Maybe at some at some level for a lot of people. But it, it's burnout, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, it could be because of the other underlying things. Yeah, but I was I was I was I was getting to be when I look back at it, I was going to start being a negative influence. Like we would have debriefs, and the debriefs would go like I thought they should, which was aggressive and fucking mean, which wasn't the right way to do it. Like just. This is, you know, God, like literally angry in debris for no reason. Like, why are you angry? Mm. You know, but no one would say that. Like, why are you so pissed off? Like, there's Palmer. He's just going to let him yell. And that's basically what guys would do. Like, just let him get it off his chest. Okay, we're done. And we'd go out and back to business, yeah. right? After the debrief, you're back to business. Um, but I've, I recognize that in myself. Like, I, I got to get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I lost the desire to do it. Okay. Um, Tested for firearms, came out in the list, went right over to firearms, um, and that was an odd shift. I, I can't imagine. That was an odd shift. I mean, going from full speed all the time, basically, to... A different version of full speed. Okay, how so? Um, it's busy. I got that. Yeah. It's, it's, and the, the other guys I talk to that do this, it's just like there's a constant new group. There's a new thing we have to do. It's a lot of logistics. It's We got a department with X amount, a thousand people. They all have to be RDS certified or whatever. Like, it's a, it's a big job. It's, it's like you're planning out two years in advance to get people. Absolutely. Stuff. And yeah. it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. All right, you're teaching this again. Fuck. And then that, yeah. it had to be that thing where I was like, I realized I'm like, I'm busier here than I was on the friggin' SWAT team. <laughs> that's great. Because at least when I wasn't doing anything, I'd do whatever the hell I want to do. But here there's always something that's got to get done. Mm-hmm. Hey, we have a recruit class. There's 40-something people out there. Everybody's out there. And you're doing your thing and they're teaching. And this is a lot of that, that ego, like me getting, like they're teaching stuff that I'm looking at just going, this is ridiculous. It's elementary, you mean? It, it's It's, I don't even like the term outdated. It's inefficient. It's it's weak. It's just weak and inefficient. And we're not preparing them for anything. We're preparing uh, okay. them to pass a qual. Okay. And it was like it's not overly safe. You can't be too safe. But everything is just like you got to do it this way. And I'm used to being on our range. We're just like, go oh, shoot, right. go down there. It doesn't just do what you're going to do. Leave us alone. We, we just go do our thing. 
And then I get there and it's like, oh, you got to make sure you unload them before they come off the line. And I'm like, who fucking cares? <laughs> but again, now then after you're down there, why are like, ah, oh, I get it. Yeah, I got it. I get it. Now I get it. Um, so like learning that culture, but still not butting heads, but like, I know I'm new here, yep. but I'm not new. Like I've got almost 20 years on this department. I am not a booter. I'm new here. So I, I get that. There's a lot I do need to learn. And there's a lot of stuff I thought I knew that I didn't have a clue about, especially with like legitimate instruction and like learning to deal with different that people. Whole different deal, yeah. But culturally, I got down there and I was like, this fuddy shit has got to die. Mm-hmm. We got to stop doing it. And they're like, well, you can't. And everything was a blame. Like AZ Post says you got to do this. AZ Post says you got to do it. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. I'm like, bullshit. Let's, let's just do it. And you call up AZ Post and they're like, no, that's just the guidelines for this. You guys can do whatever you want as long as you're hitting these. But that's what was being said. Yeah, it's a blame of, game. Right. And, you know, it was the supervision down there before people were like, oh, he wouldn't let us do that. This guy wouldn't let us do that. And it has to be this. So like, rather than, than have the uh, maybe an uncomfortable conversation where you had to actually pitch your case or whatever, they're just like, fuck it, we're just going to do whatever. Yeah. Whatever. The, the, the way I viewed it and the way I still think that's how they treat it was they're all too stupid to let them do any of this stuff. That's insulting. They're all too dumb. They're all too unsafe. You can't let these cops do that. They'll shoot themselves or someone else. And I'm like, they're going out the gate into the real world while yeah. you're sitting here in fucking fantasy land right. pretending to teach them shit you know nothing about. That's interesting. Like you're speaking of gunfighting and you've never been in a gunfight. You're speaking of tactics and you've never employed them in reality. Like you're speaking of these things and you're talking about old West gunfighters and you're quoting Wyatt Earp and shit. Fuck off. Right. Like stop. Give them something that makes sense. Let's show them how to do. Let's let them show they're stupid and unsafe. Like let's get them to a level of safety. Let them demonstrate they can do certain things and then let's start pushing them. Yep. And it's, we've done it and they've flourished. They have fun. I got, I'll show you a video after we're done. They're new ish. We get them for four hours. A day, every other day. These are the newbies. Newbies, brand new recruits. Yeah, we got to make sure they're safe. Because I had, that's the ignorance on my part. I didn't realize, and I'm going to use a word that's not, it's just the easiest word to use. I didn't realize how stupid people were with guns. Yeah. Right? And they're not dumb. It isn't because they're stupid. They're unaware. They just don't have a clue. They're unaware. Right? So you go into the classroom for the first time, you meet them, and you ask, I've learned this one, I ask this, has anyone here never touched a gun before? Hands are going up. And, you know, part of you is like, what the fuck are you doing here? How did you get here? Yeah. We're the police. We have guns. No, I think think a lot of outside onlookers would look in Mm -hmm. going like, what? What? And I hear this quite frequently, too, from from people I talk to. Just like, yeah, you'd be surprised how many people come in. And even people would say, if I could do this job, not carry a gun, I'd do it. Oh, that's 100% true. Which blows my mind. And then go back to the like, yeah, I've never been around and these things scare me. I was actually just having a conversation with a guy from Florida who's a firearms instructor for his department down there. And that department actually uh, mandated that everybody needed to be rifle qualified. They didn't necessarily have to have a rifle on them, but they needed to be rifle qualified. So they brought out the carbines. This was, they, they had to put everybody through it. Female officer that was just completely terrified of shooting, shooting the carbine, went up to the line, shoots the carbine, drops the gun, backs away, and shivering. I can't do this. And this is a veteran, veteran officer. Like, and I heard that and I go, while I'm a little surprised at the, I'm like, really? Like drops the gun, steps away. She, literally. And the guys like, tell him, you know, cause there mm-hmm. were two of them there. Tell him what happened. I go, okay, I was just, I'm just checking in. So while I'm slightly surprised, I'm also not surprised yeah. at the same time. Cause I hear this pretty frequently, but I think a lot of people listening would be like, what the fuck? Like, really? Yeah. And then we want to blame 
or we, we want to put this blame or put this, this, a guy's life gets ruined, an officer's life gets ruined because he's been put on the street with very little to no efficiency and effectiveness in the training he's been given, makes a decision, does something, and his life is over. And, well, he's a cop, so he should know how to shoot. Anyway, just going back, so many people go in and they've never even seen or talk, talk, touched a gun before. Yeah, so anyways. And it's not their fault. That's just, this is the line of work they chose. It's completely unaware. And some people look at police like, you should be the best at this with a gun. And I've always said like, can't we just be like, we want to be paramilitary. We want to have rank, but we don't want to be like the military. Like, why does a detective that investigates check fraud need to be a cop? Right. Well, you got to be a cop. What about your five years in patrol taught you how to be a really good child crimes detective? fucking zero. Right. Well, you learn how to talk to people. I've seen you all talk to people. Mm. You don't know how to fucking talk to people. Mm. Right. What teaches you about that? Why can't I get a, a, a girl from ASU who's passionate about that and has been trained and is just, that is, that's what they want to do. Why can't I let her do that? Well, we go out and arrest bad guys. They have policemen for that. Right. Police women go be a detective. Like, and I'm not saying guys, if anyone watches this and like, you're, you're talking shit about detectives. It's a hard job. We all have a lot of things to do. I'm just, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, if you want to be a cop on the street, you want to be a street cop, this is not the answer to all your problems. The gun. The gun. It's not the answer to all your problems, but it's the answer to the worst problem you're going to get. Yeah. And you need to be, you need to know what you're doing if you ever come across Right. But our system. families need you to know what you're doing <laughs> with it. Right. And if you're training people and you're not exposing them or showing them, at least giving them the experience of running as fast as they can and then stopping and shooting something. And then running over here. Then and what are you doing? You're just hoping they figure it the fuck out on the street. Yeah, when that time which comes. now, that's not their fault. I wouldn't have done it that way. I love that one. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Great. Or even in training, right? Well, if this is real, I wouldn't have done that. I'm yeah, like, motherfucker. Really, dude? Pardon my say. This is real. This, yeah. We're here doing this, and that's what you did. Well, I, you know, it's training. I'm like, dude, I go, I'm not beating you up. Like, this is real. That's what you did. We got to work through that. We got to find it out. Well, I was thinking this and that. I go, again, you're taking a test. You're doing a scenario. So you're trying to outthink it. Just react to it like you would. And the shooting stuff, if they've never been exposed to it, if they've never had to understand how their emotional reaction, that emotional shooting might get the gun out and just try to make the bad man stop with plastic Jesus. If they've never been able to shoot a gun like that, the chances of them being able to do it are almost zero. Yes, you can hit the guy and get lucky at three and four and five yards and stuff. But if this is 15 yards apart and he's on the other side of a car or a block wall and you have a small target, putting them all into the apartment behind him is not the answer. Yeah, what are we doing to prepare somebody for right? this? Yeah. Well, they should know. And that's, you know, it goes into like cop training sucks. And I used to get like kind of offended by that because I'd look around, I'm like, we have pretty good training. Our department's very supportive. But like they do, a, we do, Fair I enough. think we do a good job. Fair enough. As best we can, we make the exposure there. But in the end, <laughs> excuse me, it does come down to the student's desire to retain it and desire to actually do to, good at it. And continue to practice. But until I started traveling the country, I didn't realize how poor the training actually was at some places. Yeah, it's not standardized. Yeah, and, and I ain't asking for the FBI to come out and standardize and make a national police force yeah, at you. all. But when people say that cop training sucks, I don't get offended by that anymore at all. because You recognize it does in some places. Yeah. I've learned a lot of things about myself. They're not talking about me. But and not all talking the about our training. So that's another thing that I see come up is, you know, again, the term arm court chair quarterbacking or critiquing, like people can take a lot of offense to that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we'll sign up and do the job and, you know, then you'll find out. Like, uh, okay. 
why are you so angry about this? Like, dude's going to have an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. Yep. So, but to but to your point, I think that the important thing walking away from that part of it is is that it's not the same everywhere. But it can be re- going back to your high and low limits. It can be really bad. Yes, it could it also be really good. Uh, and so, how do we find a how do we find a middle ground? And so, with that, it's like you're again you we're just talking about with the with the the firearm stuff you're actually gonna you're actually presenting now like on the training on some of the incidents and things can we talk just about kind of what you're doing in general yeah my, beyond the department yeah so they're they're supportive i was asked to come speak at an event mm-hmm. <clears throat> i was asked to come speak at an event um i said yeah i spoke there before we debriefed uh, a hostage rescue we had um, they said, can you, we're looking for a speaker. Can you come talk at our event? And I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? And they're like, I don't know anything. And I'm like, eh, that's, I don't know about anything, but I go, what about this? This is one of the things I'm doing now. And they're like, that would be great. So I said, do you need to put this together? Sponsor travel, like yep. write that to the, the department and see if they'll let me go. Because what I want to present is on behalf of them. It's our information. Okay. Um, and they said, go ahead. And I went, cool. So basically just going out and explaining the process that we use for a post OIS. Like what happens after the shooting? How do we take that information and look at it from a training perspective to know that we're training this and it was used and it was effective, or it seems to be working the right way. We're training this and it's not effective at all. We need to change something here. We have to make an adjustment because times are changing different, you know, techniques are being used by bad guys, whatever it may be, or we're training this, they're not doing it. Why aren't they? And they're doing something else. And it's not working. Excuse me. It's not working either. Either they're making a choice or they just, they don't know, or they've forgotten about it. There could be a lot of reasons. Right. So good or bad, greatest, you know, it ends in an OIS is an unfortunate event. That's not the goal, right? but that is what the thing ended up in. Everybody made great decisions. Everything seems to have gone well. They performed well. They attempted de-escalation. They tried Christ communication techniques. You know, they had less lethal options. They did them than that. But the bad guy escalated the situation to violence, and it had to be stopped that way to save other people. Mm-hmm. On its face, everything looks perfectly good. But we want to go through that and go, where there's still holes, right? Acceptable, good, possible. Like, we, we were acceptable here. What would have been better? Well, now you're just... You're not you're like, let them have a win. We are. We're saying, hey, good job. And then we're looking at internally, not even to the officer that was involved, but looking at what information was taken in from 911. How did that telephone game information transmit to the dispatcher? And how did that telephone game get to the officer? Here's what the 911 caller said, asking him, what did you think was going on? Or sometimes two very different things. Interesting. So where's the hole? And it's not a blame game. It's like saying, hey, these things are important. Right. And we need to focus on making sure that information gets to this guy so he can make the most informed decision he can and he needs to make the right decision. Yeah. At any point, is there any room for improvement on yes, this? And the answer it. and the answer is going to be yes every single time. So as long as you, as soon as you accept that, then you can accept the fact that we're we're not saying it's not a win. Like we're just is every time you win, I you can use and I I, I loathe watching these guys every day, every year. The New England Patriots the, the <laughs> rode to the Super Bowl, went through Bill Belichick every year, and I was not a fan of that guy from like the personal perspective. Okay, but God damn it, 
every year. And the thing was, is like, no matter how good we we are today, we're going to be better tomorrow. And it was just, they kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And they, they got the Super Bowl rings to, to prove it. My point of this is, is he, he was never satisfied with, with the win. Um, neither was Tom Brady. And there was something else to that too. And I think kind of brings me back to something you said earlier. And that is, I think he's he, the guy ran with the chip on his shoulder. And he still does a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. Like, why? No, we can do better and we should be doing better. And don't tell me that we can't or try to put some limiter there. That just sounds dumb. If our goal is to be Super Bowl champions or whatever, in your case, like to go out there, de-escalate situations where we can de-escalate them, win if we have to in certain, you know, confrontations or whatever else. Why wouldn't we be examining every part of this process? Um, so again, it's an acceptance of there, there can be something to learn from every one of these situations and it's good or positive. I think for me from, you know, the outside looking in to know that that law enforcement is doing that. Right. But it doesn't seem like everybody's doing that. So when you go, when you go to these things and you're presenting this kind of information, how is it received? Cause you just mentioned one of those, like, just like, Hey, just come on. Why are we nitpicking this? Like, let's move on to something else. How is it received in general? What kind of feedback do you get? Where is this is this a new thing? Is it popular? Is it unpopular? Sort of in police culture. What can you tell me about that? I'll say like this: I have no clue. Really? Um, yeah. This will be the first time we've ever taken this what we do out, okay, and shown it to someone else. Okay. So an entire state's tactical organization. We're going to go and be like, this is what this is what we're doing. Okay. Here's why we're doing it, and it's the very same points. Like, well, we won last week. We'll just do the same thing again next week. And they're like, hold on, but we're playing the Patriots next week. Yeah, yeah, but we beat the Browns. That works, right? So that win, that great one, where we try to nitpick and go, these are the things we need to improve on it. Everything we did on it was excellent and it worked out. But we have this one that we're going to show you right now where everything we did was absolutely wrong. We did everything wrong. This was not right. This was set up wrong. This information didn't get to here, but it still worked. And when you say worked, again, we're, we're defining a win as Cop goes home at the end of the night, safe, bad yep, guys. Bad guys in custody. Bad, bad guys in right? custody. The guy came out and he gave up. Well, we did this and look, it worked. That's right? like that's like the lowest level that you could be man you could be measuring success at. Like there's just so many missing pieces there. Yeah, it's it's, it's terrible. And we have some where like everything they did makes absolute sense. They made good decisions on the approach. They picked up on the cues they were getting. They they're reading the call and they're like, that doesn't seem right. Something's weird. Yep. Can I get another unit? And they would go, they got another guy there. Another, another one shows up. They're like, this is weird. Let's do this. They're trying to make sense of it. They're making the right decisions based on what they know at the time. And all of it goes to shit. Mm. That isn't because they made the wrong decision. That was the right decision. It just turned out bad. And you, it's, I, I did this for a reserve group once where I tell them, I was like, don't be the commander, right? Don't be the, the bureau commander, the precinct commander, the police chief who comes in and goes, I want you to make me a cake, Scott. I'll be back. And you're going, fuck cake? Am I going to make him, right? Well, don't matter. No matter what it is, I'm not going to like it. Okay. okay? <laughs> so, and it's like, okay, you don't know how to make me a cake? I'm going to hold your hand through the entire process. Okay. I'm Now I'm going to babysit you and show you how to make a cake. You're not allowed to make decisions without me. Uh, so there's, do this for me, right? Hey, go get this done. And you either trust them to get it done because you've taught them before. They know the expectations. Yes. They know how to do it. And they're going to deliver you a product. It may not be perfect. But at least they, they know what you want. So they got a, there's a process there. Right. There's, a, there's an outcome they know they're supposed to or an expectation right. they should meet. And the opposite is I go, I'm going to walk you. Okay, now take the flower, but not, not, I'll help you. Like I hold your hand and I put it in the flower. 
and I drop in the bowl and you're like, all right, I it like says this, right like here, this. It, it says, it says sugar next. Yeah, but you're not ready for that yet. So let's go over here. <laughs> let's wash our hands. And you're like, why would the fuck I do that? Right. So I'm babysitting you through the steps. Right. And I tell them, I go, no matter what, if you want to babysit them through it, or you want to give them clear cut expectations and standards to meet and just rely on them to do a good job. At the end of the day, a cake's getting made. Right. But the only variable is there's a suspect involved. So you tell them no matter which way you can babysit them or you can let them do it. The suspect is the one picking the ingredients. Yeah, they got to vote. He gets to vote. So he gets to pick what's in the cupboard. You have your ingredients list. You have your checklist. But if I need does, a canine. I need air unit. I need a rear containment. Watch your crossfire. You start doing bingo with all the bullshit that you say on the radio for no reason other than you're going through a checklist. And the bad guy comes out of the pantry and he's like, all right, guys, ready to make the cake? And we're like, yeah, come on over. And we're like, all right, uh, boss wants two layers. He wants a two layer cake, white cake, the vanilla stuff. Uh, but he wants chocolate frosting. And then he wants three cherries across the top. And the bad guy's like, check, I'll go get the shit. So he comes out of the pantry. We start making the mix. Here's the flour. He gives it to you. Exactly what I wanted. Puts the flour in. And you're like, I need a half a cup of sugar. And he goes, here you go. And you taste it. It's salt. And you're like, no, 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 sugar. He goes, it's fucking salt, dude. Use it. That's what, that's my vote. That's what I'm, that's Fuck. what I'm putting So in. I put the salt in. All right. We need the chocolate frosting. And he goes, I went out in the backyard. I got some dog shit. Yep. So we're going to use dog shit to, to paste it. And you're like, I, I need chocolate. And he's like, that's my vote. We're doing dog shit. So at the end of the day, we both of us come up to you together and I go, here you go, boss. And I give you the chocolate cake. And you're like, what the fuck is this? And right. you're like, it's a chocolate cake. It's just not, it's two layers, right? <laughs> Got two layers. It's vanilla, but there's no sugar in it. We use salt and it's covered in dog shit. So is everybody ready to eat? Because at the end of the day, we're eating this cake. It's getting made. It may not be perfect, but we do have the three cherries on top, right? Those are there. The cake is two layers. It is white and it has brown frosting. It's not great, but everybody sit down, grab a fork and eat it with a, eat it with a smile. <laughs> eat it with a smile. That's kind of how it works, right? The variable is out of our control. Mm -hmm. You can try to control it. You can do whatever and you can put the greatest tactical plan together and the guy can go, all right, I give up. And you're like, wait, we're not done. Look, we haven't given you this fucking surrender plan yet. But yet, that's the variable. That's kind of what we're going to go into is like, this is why it's important to break all these down so you can have an understanding of we did these things, this was the this end result. How, this is how it came out. Based on this, and now we can look forward to these cues. If we see these cues from the bad guy again, maybe he's trying suicide by cop. Hmm. Maybe these things are going to happen. <laughs> if he goes quiet on us, what are some of the outcomes we've had before? Oh, he's going quiet. He's killed himself. Uh, don't bet on that one. All right? Like, these are cues to look for in your people and how they're responding. These are cues to look for in your supervisors. Mm -hmm. These are cues to listen to on the radio as are they being said. And as you see this thing start to form, like from that true 30,000 foot view, you could start to go, oh, wait, we're this is getting weird over here. Hold up this. We need to focus on this. We need to make sure this gets done. He's out front. Screw it. I need rear containment. But he's out front. Like all the excuses that have ever been given. And you go to take him in custody, he runs right through the front door, out the back Arcadia and over the fence. Like, whoa, but he was right there. Yeah, but now he's not. It's the change. It's different ingredients. So I don't know. I've kind of changed the ingredients. So what I'm curious about now is, like, I'm fascinated by this because, again, it's like, um, it's like looking at game film, right, and breaking it down. And if you're Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, like, Every bit of that information is extraordinarily valuable to me because one of the things like that organization did really well was finding the right personnel to put in the right situation based on whatever the T 
team they were playing or whatever the environment they were playing in, and they could always flex and move and change. It was never, this is the playbook and we don't do anything else. It's, this is the playbook and it gives us flexibility to morph this based on whatever the situation is. And, you know, like it, you're, you're sitting in team rooms, you go to your individual teams or your running backs are over here and the receivers are over there and here's the quarterbacks and here's the, the offensive line or whatever else, but they're going to get that information passed down to them and they're going to get it in the stuff in the way that it makes the most sense for them. So I don't know how the new England Patriots do it, but I'm curious how your department does that. Like, oh, cause all that information is awesome, but how do you get it back to the people in a way that that's meaningful <clears throat> and it matters and can actually make an impact? So it's a challenge because we're a, a larger department not the biggest. I can't imagine what like NYPD goes through. Right. Right. But a large department, it isn't something, and there's, I got to do this one in two parts too. When we find something that's important, like this is a hole in our game. We immediately try to adapt that. We'll put out emails and newsletters. We'll try to get it out to the patrol sergeant. Say, please talk to your guys about this in briefing. Bring up this point. Hey, this is important. We want to talk about this. And then all training going forward, it's just adapted into immediately. It start, it's not a change. It's like, if it's good and we're doing it, it's reinforced. Mm-hmm. If it's a whole, we tell people, this is something we've been missing. This is something we want you to pay attention. We just introduce it. Gotcha. It's not, you've been doing this wrong. Now do this. It's, this is working well. Here's why we're doing it, it this do, way. It doesn't upset the whole app cart and change no. everything. We're not completely, so I got it. Yeah, it's not, all right, every, we, now Drop we got to have this. Drop everything, bring everybody in and get this done. We, Panic. It's yeah. push it out. Let that first line supervisor, let that that precinct commander, let those those shift commanders know, hey, these are the things we observed. These are things you need to look out for in your people. These are the things we're 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 expecting of you. And that leadership needs to push it down with the training. So it, smart. Like the training goes all the way. It starts in the squad room when they're waiting to go out on the street. And instead of coming in and watching YouTube videos of cats, they need to fire up a BWC from an email or go online and look up the most recent shooting and have an honest discussion about. What would you have done in that? Well, I would have gone over here. That's all great. But how are we handling this? And then the sergeant at the end can tell him, this is what I expect of you. If you guys are confronted with a situation like that, I need these things done. How do you want me to do that? I don't fucking care. Figure it. Solve I figure the problem. It, solve the problem. But I need these things to get done. If we, if we have a bad guy on the loose, what's the number one goal? Find him. Mm-hmm. Right? We got to find him. Once we find him, contain him and start communicating with him. Well, we don't have all this set up. If you find a guy, communicate with him as soon as possible so you can gauge his capacity to understand, so you can find out what his mental state possibly is, and he can have him give up because he's ready. Don't sit in silence for 45 minutes waiting for perfection and canines and everybody else to show up. When you can go, hey, dude, I know you're in the shed. You need to come out here. You're under arrest. Do you understand me? All right, man, screw it. And you can have this thing over in a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. Don't sit on it and wait. Well, he's in there freaking out and, and it gets to a point where he now he has to act. It's creating a, a different problem. Right. We're just trying to lay expectations out for him. Yeah. I, I, I'm just looking at like organizational leadership there and kind of how it's passed down. It's interesting that you're, you're, you're not telling anybody what to do. You're saying you're, you've identified a problem that is, you're almost sounds to me like you're telling those sergeants like, Hey, we've identified this thing. We want, we really want to let you guys know about it because it could be impacting your team you know, probably a good idea or please get this out to your guys so that you guys aren't having to deal with this too. So you let the people that are supposed to be giving that information and probably have their best finger on the pole or have their finger on the pulse of all the things 
how to talk to that team, how to talk to the individuals in that team that may need a little bit more than maybe somebody else or whatever. You're letting them do it rather than stopping everything and saying, okay, now we have to put everybody through this specific training for the next six months. And yeah, I must be the one to pass this information yeah, on like, you because I'm all knowing. Exactly. Which now the, the, the patrol cop who's been on for two years or whatever, who has no fucking clue who you are, where you come into this is telling, telling him something and that you've just cut my boss out of this. Right. And if my boss isn't on board with this, the sergeant, right. My boss isn't on board with this. Then that must mean he doesn't like you or he thinks you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Or he doesn't know what's going on. Or That's he, why I don't trust him. Or, or right. The exact opposite yep. of that was like, Oh, well I never liked my, my sergeant anyway. And this just, basically validates that, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I guess it brings to a bigger, you know, sort of a larger discussion like on police culture and kind of what's happening. That's a different, much different way than what I see or what I hear from from folks that I talk to on a regular basis, kind of what's going on in their departments. Because I either hear one of two things. I either hear, not that my department is perfect, but I feel really fortunate that I'm in the department that I am, I am in. And it's almost always about leadership. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, we're giving the autonomy uh, and the flexibility to do the things that we know we need to do in order to solve problems, keep people happy, serve the community, which is why I got into this in the first place. Or I hear the other part, the other end of it was like, man, it's really rough out here. Like, our, our, the leadership up top doesn't know what the fuck is going on. It's a constant political battle. Like, there's these factions and these lines that have been been, been drawn. I can't even do my job anymore. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And I don't think that even the you know even the guys in the in these departments that they like or that they they love being in, they're they're faced with with similar challenges. I mean, things are weird out there. Right. And things have changed, I'm sure. But when I look at those cultures, that's what I see. Um, And you're talking about a very large department that you work for that's able to somehow handle this. And I'm sure if I asked somebody else, they might say, well, it's not all perfect. It's not all. Oh, no. I don't hear you saying that. Not perfect. But I think that's just from from an observational outside looking in that to me. So when we go back to like, well, they're not good at shooting. Right. Well, they have a lot of things to do or, you know, they're not good at solving this problem and they don't have their, you know, they're not doing the community service the way they should be. They're, they're assholes and they're miserable and, and whatever else. I think it's a direct re- reflection of, of leadership and, and how that is passed down. And if you're, if you've got a problem, let's be able to, let's be able to escalate that problem up to the top and then let's be able to bring it back down. Uh, again, back to the police culture thing. I think where my question is in in, in all of this is putting your finger on the pulse after all the years that you've been doing this, right? Uh, And weighing maybe what the officers are faced with every day against what the public is is faced with every day. And also knowing that things constantly change. I mean, you guys are constantly fit. Like you just said, like we're we're noticing our, we have this new data. We don't, we we need to get this out to to the public. We have this new tech. We're trying to figure out how to make all this work, right? And we're trying to give it to these guys and they're, with all the things they have to do, you know, on a, on a daily basis. And then, the, you know, the public, where we are, I think, with just police in the United States now and the things that they've been fed and the fact that people can kind of run around and it seems seemingly do a lot of things and not get in trouble for it, make accusations, lie, um, hold people accountable based on body cam footage, but in the same body cam footage from another incident, we can see a civilian or a crook or whatever making shit up, uh, 
doing things that are clearly against the law. And officers are being faced with lawsuits, desk time, reputation being damaged, and all of those things. So again, circling back to the question, I just wonder, like, what is your what's your your take on how police how police work is adapting to all of this? At the same time, on the flip side of that, how is society adapting to all this? And are they moving in the same direction, or is it going two completely opposite directions? Is that my own opinion? On, I have my own opinion on this. I think I'll tie what we were talking about with training and reviews into police culture. Mm-hmm. I think it'll make sense. Um, in the basement, on the rooftop, in a back shed of every single police department in this country is a knee-jerk reactor. Okay. Uh, it's this, some places it's a very dusty machine that's covered in tarps and old Xerox freaking boxes. Okay. But in many places it is very much active and bright and shiny. And they're putting new ones in. Like, they're upgrading <laughs> Constantly. Shit. Yeah, Constantly. no new computers for the cars. We need a new knee-jerk reactor. Got it. Because this shit's fucking dope. And that's the way people will look at it. That is the opposite of what we're trying to do. Like, when a, a problem or a, a technique or a need is yep. identified, the knee-jerk reactor fires up, and it starts pushing that out, right? It's about 10% of the way through the process of putting that information out when the next problem happens. The next knee-jerk happens. They just pull that card out, they stick the new problem in, and they start shitting out the new knee-jerk problem. It's a great analogy. How about we start fixing the problems as they're identified in the order that we get them? Unless something trumps it by priority, right? Obvious priority. Like, we have a huge problem with this. This was a problem. Like, we would, we would like the paperwork to get done better. So let's get that one going. And then we have, like, a smaller agency doesn't have a lot of officer-involved shootings. They get an officer-involved shooting, the officer's killed, the bad guy's killed. Nobody has a clue what's going on. And then they pull the ring cam and the Tesla videos and the one from over here. And they get a picture of it, third party, but they're looking at it. And on the body camera, he's going, oh, shit. Like, this happened. And they can actually identify a training problem in it. That needs to get plugged in before the paperwork, right? But when that one is trying to get solved, when they're trying to make the public safer, right? And I tell my recruits this and I tell the guys in the classes that recruits hear officer safety, officer safety, officer safety all the time. And then they come out with us and I go, Fuck officer safety. It's public safety. Mm. Officer safety is a thing. Don't do stupid shit and get yourself killed for no reason whatsoever. Mm. But public safety comes first. And the safety priorities and the way that a lot of people don't like the N2A, I don't like a lot of what they've done, but having the safety priorities as a thought method for officers, Mm. as an explanation, can show them like, yes, sometimes you need to go closer to a guy with a knife so he can't access an innocent. Somebody else, yep. Well, what if it ends up in a shooting? Then he chose that to happen. Then shoot him. It didn't, right. you didn't force a shooting by making the right decision to get in between him and an innocent. By hiding behind the rock over here and letting him access the innocent, that's the wrong decision. Mm. All right? And it still could end in a shooting. Like Because you didn't prioritize right. public safety. So, understanding that, the knee-jerk reactor, all of that's part of police culture. All right? So, my dad was a cop. He got on in 74. Right? Okay. Um. You talked to cops around before that, and the the overarching f- feel that I've gotten from talking <laughs> to old cops and salty old SWAT guys that I worked with is that every later, gen- later generation is an idiot, just like the Army or in the Marine Corps. They don't know what it was like back in my day. Right. My dad was like, I had the patrol car had a radio in it, and I didn't have a radio. We didn't. They didn't have personal radios. They used to have call boxes, and then he thought it was really cool, and he, the old guys before him did not have car radios. So they would get out of the car, they'd flick it on so the speaker would go out over the right, PA, right. and they would hang the cord out. They used to have long cords. They would hang it out over the front of the car, 
And then they would go handle business one-on-one pretty much 99% of the time. Um, they didn't have computers. They didn't have any of all this stuff. So every, everybody later is an idiot and is soft. Mm. But they were a soft idiot compared to the guys who came on in the for, 50s for them, and yeah. the 40s. And they were sure, all of us are sure as so, fucking hell soft <laughs> compared to some cowboy sheriff. Right, right, right. right. Go back to White Earp. So let's, that's kind of why I make that change, right? There's a public perception of law enforcement, and then there's the reality of what it's become over time. When I look at White Earp, I look at a corrupt individual. And that might break a lot of people's heart, but he was literally a pimp. Yep. He ran gambling halls. These are facts. Ran like, yeah. he, he was a criminal. He was a criminal. With a badge. With a badge, yep. Um, cool people, story. Yeah, cool, cool story, <laughs> but he, the guy was, he was just another guy, but he had a badge. Um, in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, when you look at it and go, policing has, ch- people, like, command staff will tell you that policing has changed. We can no longer do the things we used to do. Dude, you were never allowed to do the things you used to do. You well, just, what the there, fuck are you talking there about? There just weren't any body cam footage. Right. Oh, you right. mean you can't get away with the shit you used to get away with. Right. You were never allowed to do it. It wasn't the right way to police stuff. Um, beating up black people for trying to go to a school was not the right way to, to be a right. constitutional policeman. It just wasn't the right thing to do. All right. Um, pulling, this is my opinion, setting up speed traps in small towns and just writing people tickets yeah. isn't the right way to do. That's not policing. That's, that's taxing people. Yeah. Um, I think we should be peace officers. I think our job is to handle problems other people can't handle or unwilling to, right? Why we tell people don't handle your own problems is beyond me. Why neighbors can't talk to each other uh, is beyond me. Yeah, call it's the police, police every problem, time. Call the police right? every time. Call the police. Um, someone breaks in your house, just hide in your room. Don't do anything. No, defend your home. Yeah. Like, and I'm not telling people to start shooting everybody that goes in their house. I'm saying make valid decisions based on where you're at in your life, what you have to defend, and what you're willing to put up with for it. Um. It's the old way of policing. If it was abusive, it's always been wrong. But the old way of policing, when they were a good person, we're just dudes from society and women from society. Right. You got, I got so many funny things I think I could say, but they're just people. They're just dudes. They're just dudes and yeah. chicks. Yeah. I don't give a shit who you are, who you think you are. You are not RoboCop. Like, you got problems. You got this going on. There's things going on here, and you were a nerd in high school. Like, you had a life before this. Mm-hmm. It can become a personality, right? And that's almost a rite of passage, like where you start to learn how to truly think like a cop on the street. It will affect your personality. I and think it, it has to. It will. It, yeah. it, it's going to. People say, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. I'm like, you're different than you were eight years ago. Um, you can only see so much. And got cops say, you don't know what I see every day. You don't, you're right. They don't. So stop trying to hold it up in their face. How could they? They have no clue, right? right? They don't have a clue. And that's like trying to talk to a paramedic about what they got to deal with. I see, I see people all the time. They're like, not the same ones they do. The old lady who's, you know, laying in her own feces in a bed, the old guy who had a heart attack, the child who drowned, all these things you don't typically deal with, right? You're not seeing those. Yeah. You'll go on a dead body call. Yes, I've seen children who have drowned. You have seen that, right. but you don't see it. But that's not your day, yeah, right? Yeah. You don't know what it's like to run a classroom of kindergartners. I have no clue what that's like. Sounds terrifying. It sounds freaking like hell. <laughs> sounds terrifying. Right? <clears throat> Excuse me. But we, I, I, I ramble. I'm just saying, don't try to hold that up to the public like you don't know what I go through, right? You don't know what they go through, right? The victim of the burglary who you're going to, you know, her house was broken into, 
you're like, fucking who cares? Like, look, they, they, they took my kid's PlayStation or they, his Xbox or whatever it is. They got her back windows broken. You're looking at it like, whatever. I have homeowner's insurance. Like, well, she don't. Right. And her kid ain't get another video game. Right. And her husband beats the shit out of her. Like all of the things, all the things you don't know. So don't feel special, right? You do a good job. It's a cool career, right? But don't feel like you need to be held on a pedestal because you're doing it. I think there's also a part of this too with like you're a victim though. Like I think there's some victimhood that I see happening in law enforcement. Like, and that's what I, what I mean by that is like, well, I can't do my job because of all these other things that are happening out there. I, I don't buy that. I do see that, you know, obviously, I, I mean, I live in California uh, and it's, and, and I, I bring it up a lot because I'm very proud of my California heritage, but I'm also very embarrassed by the government there and a lot of the policy and things and the, some of the public, just like anybody else is. And I, I get that you're going to, you're going to get that wherever you go in the world, in the United States, in your state. And if you tell me that it's not like this anywhere else, it's just like, you know, California is the pariah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just give me a few minutes and I'll show you some stuff, you know, but my, the, the point of this is, is, the, 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 I can't do my job. I don't buy that. Like you can still do your job. You just have to adjust to how you do the job now versus how you did it yesterday or five years ago or whatever, because things are evolving. Um, and maybe that's, you know, you have, you need to gain a larger level of awareness of what the law actually is. Maybe you just been out of it for a while. You just don't know. Maybe you need to improve your fucking communication skills. Because that's a big thing. By the way, the cameras are out, man. So if you're still acting, behaving, doing, saying the things that you were doing five years ago before the body cam, to your point, like, and we're getting away with it, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it was right. And it certainly doesn't mean you can't do your job now. You need to find a different way. And I see there's some resistance in that. And I also see people like, you know, this is, it's, it's awful. And, you know, I don't know why anybody would want this job. I would never tell my kid to have this job. That, that, that bothers me. Like a citizen, like I, I feel for the, I feel for these officers and the things that they're up against on a daily basis. But I'm, I'm, I kind of get like that the woe is me kind of thing out of it sometimes too. And for people listening to this, my way, dude, that sounds fucked up. You shouldn't be saying that, but no, I do see that. I think people whine a little too much. Like, Fucking fix it, figure it out, or get the fuck out of here with that. Leave, find something else to do. If you can't make the adjustment or don't want to make the adjustment, whichever it is, then find a different department to work for or go find a different job. Um, I don't know if that that sounds harsh, and I don't even know now. I'm I'm a little I'm rambling a little bit, but that that is part of what I see kind of happening in the culture now. It makes me it upsets me. Both parts uh, that. Part of it is is maybe they're not getting the support that they need. That's different than what they feel like they might deserve. They're not getting that. That is certainly happening. And I, I've seen that from a community perspective, from a legislative perspective. You know, DAs not in departments not looking out for their people. That is 100% happening all the time, you know, quite frequently, particularly where, you know, around where I'm looking at or where I, where I live and the things I'm looking at. But at the same time, I'm going... Yeah, but we have to figure out a way around this. So you can't just use that all the time as the reason why you're so miserable or you can't do your job. I wonder what your take is on that. So I'll say it. Um, I gotta think. I gotta. I gotta think of the right way to say it because I'm in agreement with you. Um, 
I can't do my job. Can you get paid for it? Do you get paid for it? So you can. I mean, are they are they paying are they paying you not to do your job? Yeah, because they'll do this. And if if I go to arrest that guy, they're not going to charge him. Uh, that's not your fucking problem. That's not your job. Charging him is not your job. Holding him in jail is not your job. Your job is to arrest him or divert him. If you can find something, you're out there. Like I said, have some empathy. If there's a solution that may not involve putting this 16 year old kid in jail, and you think just based on your interactions with them and your experience and your ability to talk to people, you think there might be a diversion that you could use. Yeah. That's your job. You have options. So pick the options you have. You can let him go. You can arrest him and put him in jail. You can write him a ticket. You can give him a diversion. You can do all these things. But saying I can't do my job is ridiculous. My job ends after the booking. If I have, if someone commits a crime, so they commit a felony, they break the windows on your van, right? Look, man, there's nothing I can do about it. I could arrest him. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up going to court on this, but they're never going to charge him. Right. So he's just going to get out tomorrow anyway. Well, cool. Take his ass to jail and then I'll blame them. But we put that same blame. It seems like we accept mm-hmm. or we take that blame on because other people are not doing their job. Yep. So that political influence, whatever it may be, a DA, a county attorney, whoever. I, and I learned that as a young guy, like they're never going to charge him with that. So don't even bother. Dude, fuck him. Charge him with it. Oh, look, he got charged with it, right? Like, don't say they're, don't tell, don't tell me what they're not going to do. That's not your job. Do your job and then let them not do their job. Right. Just let them not do their job. Like, and don't concern yourself with it. Well, I'm not going to bother because he's going to get out. So you're just going to let him out? Like, you're just going to let him go? Yeah. So now you're doing, you're just as bad as that dude who's not doing anything about it, who you're blaming. The, the judge, the yeah, DA, the judge, whatever, the politicians, whatever, all this whatever. stuff, whatever. Again, I don't know what it's like to be a politician. I don't know what pressures they feel. I know I don't like some of the things they do, and I wish they would do them another way. But I don't know what that's their job. Y'all voted for them, right. right? Or maybe not. Who who knows? But the the police cultural part about I can't do my job anymore. I can't do my job the way I used to. Like, where did this Which change? Part? Which, Which part, part of this says like a dude breaks windows? You don't have to arrest him. It just says book his ass in jail, criminal damage. It's a felony. Put him in there. At the same time, you could be helping somebody out along the way. And this is just sharing a personal story. I was kind of sharing before. I haven't told this story to, you know, on, on the area. It just actually happened fairly recently in the last six months. We'd gotten, uh, Cece and I were, were coming back down our neighborhood street. I call it, uh, I call it the speedway because people are just driving ridiculous to blowing stop signs where it's a cut through from kind of one major boulevard to another so you can avoid some stuff. And it's also very narrow, so people are parked on both sides. And so if you get a big vehicle coming down, somebody or somebody is a little nervous about driving, they got to kind of pull over. Anyway, so we're coming opposite direction, coming up to our neighborhood, which has like a driveway. It's got the ramp, kind of goes into the little the little complex we're living in there, condos. Um, and uh, we're about to make the left turn on the speedway <laughs> across traffic, and this this person, this lady, had had to slow down for somebody that was coming by, and that. I could kind of all see it materializing. I was sitting in the passenger seat, windows down, Cece's driving. I, I, so what she's seeing is, is like, oh, the car slowed up. There's cars behind me and there's more cars behind her. Car slowed up. Here's an opportunity for me to make a turn into the to the drive, right? Yeah. So whatever. So, and for me, I'm seeing her do that too. I'm like, okay, I guess we're going, right? But I can see the look on this driver's face like you've just wronged me, Right. 
And that triggered something to me. I'm like, come on, relax. Like you had mm-hmm. to slow down. Like it's all happening very fast. And I made a, I made a poor decision. And that was after she stomped on the accelerator and she's coming at us, like as to, I'm going to show you, mm-hmm. you've wronged me. We're already halfway in the driveway and she kind of takes the car towards us. Like she kind of turns the wheel a little bit. I don't know what her intention was or wasn't. It doesn't matter, but I didn't like it. And I gave her the finger. Well, that just set her off, right? So probably mistake number one on my my part. Nobody else had made any mistakes here. We're just in the middle of it. So she, so Cece's now all the way, we're now, the car's now all the way in the drive to the complex. This lady now swerved, who swerved towards us, hits the driveway at about 40 miles an hour at least because... I'm just judging by how far she had to go. And that little car was wound up. I had my I had my window down and I can hear it hitting the drive. She comes, yeah, exactly. All the things are clanking and clacking, all the plastic. And uh, so CCCs are coming down. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. So she's almost, she nearly sideswipes the car, almost hits the front end. CC slams on the brakes. She, the, the, this, this gal passes us now. She's going way too fast. Can't make the U-turn. So she has to make a three-point turn. I'm like, just chill. Just chill. This this girl, and I'm watching her the whole time. <laughs> she puts it in reverse in her three-point turn, drops it in a drive, points that thing straight at us, stomps on the accelerator again, and rams right into the front of the car. And Cece's like, that bitch just in my car. And I was like, hey, don't get out of the car. Just chill. We got to see where this goes. Well, when that happened, it knocked her car out of gear. She's trying to get it into gear. She can't. It she shuts it down and she gets out. Now I'm like, okay, now things have changed. So she gets out. She's coming towards my side of the car because we're facing that. I'm sitting in the passenger side. I'm like, well, I'm not going to sit here and get punched through the window. I don't know what she's capable of. So I get out, just stand by the door and I'm, she's approaching me now and she's giving me all the things. And I go, and she's telling me, you flip me off, blah, blah, blah. I go, okay, I've got her heated. I go, well, what are we going to do about this now? Right. And she goes, well, I'm going to go back to the car, get my gun and shoot you in the face. So I go, oh, okay. So this now gets stepped up to the next level. So I'm not, I'm, so she starts marching back to the car. Well, I'm not giving her any distance. So now I'm like right on her hip. And, you know, basically it's clear to me, she's just made a threat, but she doesn't have a gun in the car. She gets back in the car, starts it up. She's able to start it up, get it into gear and then speeds away, nearly hitting a couple of us as we're there. So. While all this happened, as soon as she had pulled in behind us originally, this was a holiday weekend and all the neighbors were up on their porch having a holiday thing. So 10 cell phone cameras come out all at the same time they capture this whole thing. Police have already been dispatched and called because there's a potential gun involved. All of a sudden, there's six units there. I, I tell the story because you kind of have to understand the whole thing and how the officers handled it. Because by the time they were done sort of taking the report and getting it all done, another group People had found the car, chased her down, arrested her. She had changed her clothes, her hair, whatever. It wasn't her first rodeo. And um, and basically had had to walk us through what was going to happen next. Well, the neighbors are just up in arms. They don't, I'm going to just say, I love them to death, but I don't think they're acutely aware of the world that we live in and the realities that exist there. And like that, they tried, you know, she threatened with a gun and she tried to run them over and everything else. And I'm just waiting because I kind of know what's going to happen. And they're, they're all standing by listening. And here's what he, he, he presented. He goes, hey, listen, man, here's what's going to happen. We're, we're, they're like, this is assault with a deadly weapon and, you know, whatever else. And maybe in some places it could be that. But they knew very, very specifically. They said, look, 
what we're going to charge her with is uh, fleeing the scene of an accident. And I, it was the term wasn't terrorist. It was something else. It was like terrorist threats. Right. It would right. be called something different somewhere something, else. Same thing, uh, yeah. it, it was something similar to that. And the people behind me are just gasping. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm going, you voted for this. Now listen, because I'm going to ask him the question. And I said, why are you doing that? He goes, because if we try to charge her with anything above this, we know that the DA is not going to prosecute this, uh, that particular charge at all, an assault with a deadly weapon charge. It's not something that would get reduced. It would likely get thrown out. And if that gets thrown out, so will the threats charge likely. And nothing's going to happen to this person. Right. And that's just that's just where we are in this particular city at this particular time. Another place, another time. Maybe it's completely different. And my point of this in telling the story is, is the way the officers, officers in general, but the, the lead officer was sort of handling the situation was he was prepping us for this and kind of talking us through all of this to help us understand how he was going to do his job in a way that would hopefully benefit us as much as possible down the line, knowing that if he tried to do it differently or he just said, yeah, we'll just write it up as it would be maybe in the textbook or to the letter of the law, that it isn't going to help these people, right? And clearly she was in the wrong and clearly she she should be punished, but it's highly likely she won't be for this. And in the end, she wasn't, right? In the end, she wasn't. And we, you know, we had to drag insurance money out of her insurance company and whatever else. My point of that was, is how how they dealt with us. And, and how they were trying to explain it to, to our neighbors so that they understand, like, it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. And he was super patient, super kind. And, you know, he wasn't like, you're stupid. That's not how, the, that's not how it works. And he didn't say what I said was, which was, mm-hmm. you voted for this. You voted for the, poli- the people that put the policies in place and all, all this kind of thing. He did his job. And he did, he did it in a, the best way he possibly could while explaining to people that probably didn't need an explanation and whatever else. And it was interesting because I was sitting in the back of his car. We had to go field ID. They took us over separately. And uh, the conversation that was happening in the car was very educational. And he was just trying to be as kind as he could, not overexcited. This is what I deal with on a daily basis. And he was telling when we got there, again, telling us how they were going to do their job mm-hmm. when they're there. And my, my point of this, again, at the end is he did his job knowing that he probably if he maybe he could have or would have liked to have done it differently but he he knows what the realities of the situation is he's adjusted appropriately so that's a really long story but i that's kind of the point i was getting at was well things are changing man so you're gonna have to change with the times or find something else to do uh because it frustrates me when i hear like well we wouldn't do that in atlanta Right. You know, or we wouldn't do that at, you know, in Texas or wherever else. Okay, dude. Well, you're someplace else. So stop putting that fire out there for everybody else to have to put out in their own state, you know, when the, these incidents come up. I don't know, now I'm rambling. No, I think it's it's good because it's a it's a personal experience and it's absolutely your perception of what happened. Right? That's how you perceived mm-hmm. it. I think we can as law enforcement, we can do a way better job about educating people about what actually does need to go on. Like when a crime occurs, so a crime did occur, hmm? right? In here, I would we would be looking at it going, is this an accident or an on purpose? Because if it's an on purpose, it's a crime. If it's an accident, that's an insurance problem. So this is an on purpose, right? She intentionally 100%. hit your car. That means it's not an accident. It doesn't meet in Arizona where I'm at. That doesn't meet the criteria of an accident. 
It's a criminal damage, right? Right. So now your car has not been involved in an accident. It was criminally damaged, right? What's going to make you feel better about this? It's not the questions we really need to ask people. We're not trying to sell them on it. <laughs> Excuse me. But what would have made you feel good about that event? For, I think for me, it was nothing was going to make me feel better about it. It just is what it is. But I think for a lot of people, the answer would have been like, well, I want to see her go to jail. I want to see her being prosecuted. She should lose her driver's license. She should do jail time. She should have to pay for the damages to my mm-hmm. car and, and whatever. Yeah, else. what she's going to pay for that with, I have no idea, right? Her me ins- suing her? Right. Like, her insurance company isn't going to pay for it either because she did it on purpose. Right. So it's not an accident. They're like, sorry, we cover accidents, not on purposes. Right. right. So what's going to, and that's like, wish we would help people understand it. Like, what's going to make you feel better about this? And after, if you've been on tons and tons of calls, like stolen vehicles, especially you find the stolen. All right. We got this guy in your car. Look, man, I just want my car back. Right. And some people are like, how the, what, what do you mean? You just want your car back. Fuck him. I would, I would kill him. I would right. do they, they, You would do all these things. What's actually going to make you feel better. I just want my car back, man. That right. happens all the time. Hmm. And that's why with stolen, like a lot of people are like, why are we chasing them? Like what, what is actually going to come out of this? We're going to catch the bad guy. So that us wanting to do it, is that our ego driving? What does the victim want? He just wants I just want my back. car back, man. And then some people it's like, that's their car. That's all they have. They're never going to get another one. It's the most expensive purchase. The insurance ever is not covering right. it if it disappears. Right. And even when it comes back and it's got some dents in it, they're like, I guess I'll deal with this. Cause I sure as hell ain't paying the deductible and right. doing all that. But my point is, like we can be better about explaining to people, this is the process we have to go through. These are the crimes. These are the elements of crimes I have to meet. And based on what you're telling me, this is what right. I have probable cause to believe happened. So I need to arrest her for criminal damage. I need to do this. Did you, what did you think was going to happen? And you're like, she didn't have a fucking gun. So I was falling her over there just to make sure nothing happened. Right. Were you in fear of your life? No. And that's what victims will say. Nah, she wasn't going to do shit to me. How am I going to charge her with threats when you don't even believe they're right. real? Right. right. Did you feel in danger? Did you feel threatened or did you just feel like this was someone talking shit? Yeah. I mean, that's a, those are, those are valid questions. I was asked actually, mm-hmm. and I had to be really honest at that point and go, well, initially there was about a 10 or a five second period where she was walking back to her car where, you know, my heart rate maybe went up a little bit, just kind of waiting for what was next. But the reality of that is, is no. Yeah. <laughs> so, in that situation, if you said, yeah, I was, ter- I, I, you know, even if you weren't like, you're just like, terrified. I want her, I want her arrested for threats. Okay. What's that going to do for you? Are you going to get some, some fulfillment out of that? Because she got a ticket and That's had to pay emotional. a fine, it's right? And she has to pay the court fines before she pays your bills. Right. Right. Oh, I'm it, way down the line. Oh yeah. yeah. But like, it's, I'm not excusing the behavior at all, but if people really understood what all goes into it, they would maybe have a better understanding of what, what decisions officers are doing. And in that moment when they're very upset, they want retribution. They want the person to be punished. Mm -hmm. So in a year when they actually go to court or whenever this happens, like people tell you, you know, you're going to have to go to court and that's a cop problem that needs to go away. You know, you're going to have to go to court and testify, trying to talk people out of paperwork. Yeah. So people just go, ah, fuck it. I'm leaving. Guess I just got to do a small report instead of a booking and all this extra paperwork. Mm -hmm. So cops shouldn't be trying to talk people out of paperwork. You spend more time trying to talk them out of report than it would take you to do it. Um, invest enough time in them that they feel like they're, and again, it's a feel, they feel like they're, they're getting a service. Like you're there, you're listening, you're letting them vent because people are angry as shit, right? Um, I think we could do better at that. Like just explaining, but these are all the elements that have to happen. But in the end, our job is to stop high tension, violent situations mm-hmm. 
and get them back to baseline normal. And the moment she was stopped down the road and the moment you guys were okay, right. the situation had returned to normal. Right. Now we just need to find out as a society, what do we want out of this? What is overall, what is this going to do for society? Because we can be, I had my truck stolen in the academy, right? And I was like, fuck this guy. My dad actually found it because he went oh, to work. He was still working. He went, he's yeah. like, hey, put out the message, like, go do this. He started calling all the pawn shops because his golf clubs were in the back. Oh, I think he wanted his golf clubs back. Yeah. But yeah, they found that guy. And then I get my truck back and like, I honestly, once I got it back, I have no clue what happened. I know he was convicted and I know they, I remember getting a thing in the thing saying he's going to have to pay you like $3 and something cents all the time. I never saw a check. I never saw any of that. I have no idea who the guy is or what happened to him. You got your truck back. It was 25 years ago, oh, yeah. but I got my truck back and I was like, I guess I'll just go to the academy. Dad got his clubs back. Dad got his clubs back from the played against sports where he's trying to pawn them <laughs> off. But yeah, that's the thing is like, what do we want as society? Like, do you want instant retribution? Like we bring her back. All right. You get two punches. Go ahead and hit her. Would that make you feel better? Yeah, what's reasonable, I right. think, is what 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 we're trying to get to, get to, and it seems like it got way way off base a few years back. We start going through, you know, all the the emotional stuff that's happening during twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. It got way off base, and now it's just gotten completely unreasonable. And the way people approach approaching these problems is like that unreasonableness has reached a level of ridiculousness in terms of what the expectation is or should be. And so I, I think I, you know, going back, like flipping, flipping the script around, I think from a law enforcement perspective is as many of the things that they're struggling with as a police culture and just in these departments across the the nation, I think they're doing a really good fucking job. Overall they are. I think they are. And I've always been, I've always been very pro-police, but but also been very objective about that opinion and different things for a lot of reasons. My own experiences, right? I've not had all positive experiences, but I, as I've gotten older, just kind of look back and go, what could I have done differently? Or why did that even happen? And this guy was just trying to do his job or not trying. He was doing his job. So it is what it is. My point of this is, is I think that, I think there's some adjustment, a lot of adjustments are being made, but and by people and officers that are out there having to do that, despite maybe not getting the support, the training, which the things that we've talked about in the way that they need. And so in that sense, I think there's, there's been a lot of success there. Um, and so in flipping it around, like flipping the whole conversation around on that, like you, you've mentioned a little bit of, you know, what, what's, what's happening with you reviewing these things and being able to present, and hopefully that gets out and makes impact other places. But what do you see happening that is going really well in law enforcement right now, despite the negativity that we might be hearing and the challenges that they might be faced with. The young guys and gals that are coming in, you can, there's recruiting nightmares, there's recruiting woes, there's poor candidates, there's great candidates. I'm convinced it's all still the same. I know I had idiots in my academy class and I know I had high performers. We have idiots now and high performers. All of those new officers that are hitting the street are still wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, moving into an environment that's fresh for them, and they're trying to do the best job that they can, just like I did in 1999. It's the same thing. That's what's still going well. We still have people going out and trying to do the job, and eventually what we need to have happen is not let the cancer of seniority and time and, and just being freaking callous to everything 
where it becomes us against them. Like we're the police. Fuck these people. Like these are all, everybody's an idiot, right? right. I don't trust anyone but the cops. Like the bright eyed, bushy tailed new cops that are going out there are, they're trying their best. Are they going to give you the same product and have the same experience as a guy who's been a patrol officer for 12 years? No, it's zero chance of no. it. Right. Right. But there's a chance that they may be a young high performer who's going to do a way better job than the slug who's been a cop for 12 years on blue welfare. Uh-huh. Right. And that goes to like, fuck this place. And I've said that a million times, right? Fuck this place. This is bullshit. That's bullshit. No solutions given. Everything's stupid. Command sucks. These people suck. I hate this job. They won't let me do my job, but you get paid for it, right? Go get another job that pays you the same and lets you do what you're doing now. Right. Well, I don't know about that shit, right? The, the people, there's a lot of people that say fuck this and bounce who come back because they realize that the real world is often a harder place to make the living you can. Now, there's cops in other places who make, you know, the pay that they get. If you were to think about that here or in LA, you'd be like, oh my God, like, how do you put how gas do in your that? car? Yep. Right. But they're fine. You know, and you got places where they're making, like I have some buddies in San Francisco SWAT, and you hear, you hear about what they're making in overtime and all this, and you'd hear, you tell that to a guy in a small town in Alabama or something. They freak out. They're like, are you kidding me? That's more than like the mayor, the chief of police, everybody, all it's these all people relative, make. It's man. all relative. Right. But what's, like, I don't know, what's going good? I would say 99% of what we're doing is going good. Across the board, 99% of it is going good. Around us right now, all on the streets around here, cops are driving around, going to calls, all of which are big nothing burgers. They're ending up fine. They do have people who just in a situation like yours are like, fuck, in the moment, fired up. Like, mm-hmm. But now that you're sitting here with me, you realize that's over. Right. Right. And 90, like the vast majority, 99, I'm making numbers up, 99% of what we're doing right now is working and it's going well. But the only thing we focus on is when it goes sideways or when we don't like the cake made out of shit. Mm. That's it. That's the only time we, that's the only things we actually focus on. And we focus on police as the government, or we focus on the police as the DA and the attorneys and the judge Mm -hmm. and all this because it's the criminal justice system, right? It's not the, it's not the freaking victim justice system. It's the criminal justice system. We need to, as law enforcement, I think, separate ourselves from it, realizing we are, we should be one team. We should be working as a team. Like we are enforcing the laws, bringing them to you to charge and then enforce, actually enforce the law, mm-hmm. which is the punishment side of it. Right. And if we have, a, the, the punishment fits the crime. If we have agreed as a society that this crime is punishable by these things. Then people should be punished. They should be punished ba- given those guidelines, right? That's it. So the criminal damage to your car, they do everything by the letter. The, everybody's on board. Like we don't accept that behavior in society and you have to pay the price for it. You chose to do this, ma'am. You are going to go to jail for one month and you're going to pay this fine. And you're like, a month? Right. And like, I've never been in jail for a month and I don't want to. (laughs) Right? Same. And you're going to pay a $1,500 fine. And we can look at that and go, well, that sucks. But she could be like, "Uh, you know, just that could be a lot of money to her. It could be nothing to her. And be like, whatever. Boom. Here's your check. Right? But the, the like my checks I was supposed to get for my truck. Right. The fact that they never showed up should be a problem. That's this is my point. This is exactly my point. And the fact that you could, with enough money that could purchase you the right attorney, you could also circumvent yeah. the punishment for the crime that you should be you should be faced with. Like if you're if you're committing crimes, if there's criminal activity, 
you should be treated like a criminal. You should have to pay pay the pay the consequence for equally. that. Equally. Equally. I I mean that. Like, so I, I'm going on record. Like, if you break the law, if it's my daughter that breaks the law, right? That's how I grew up. Like, <laughs> you're gonna pay the piper. Yep. Like, son, I warned you. Now guess what's gonna happen? I'm sorry this is gonna you know, I'm I'm not sorry you're gonna have to pay the piper, but I'm I what I feel bad about is that you're making me have to do this to you to teach you a lesson and those lessons follow you through life. So maybe you don't get those lessons. And you know, that one time you break the law, well, here's the fine, here's the jail time. Here's the penalty for that. That's what's gotten so, so screwed. Right. We, we, we accept is, well, it's like once it's over, we're like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, but it shouldn't be that. Like if they gave you a $400 fine, you'd be like, oh, dang it. But you could take care of that. But they're like, no, 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 no. You're going to write them a check for $40. Every month. For the next 10 months. Yeah. Every month, you got to write him a check for $40. The punishment isn't writing that damn check, yeah. right? Oh, like, yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I got to write another one of these checks. And you're late. That's a $40 fine. Yeah. And like, I, I'm seriously not doing this again. I'm going to remember this yeah, forever. This sucks. I'm, I'm going to be bitter about it, too. Good. Be bitter. And that's a person. If you can be bitter and you can not want to do it again, then that system is working. Yeah. If it's people go, yeah. fuck it, I don't care, then that's a violent predator. Right. Like I make jokes all the time. Like people say driving in the HOV lane by yourself is illegal. I go, yeah. no, it's not. It costs four hundred dollars. Yeah. It's not illegal. There's a penalty it, for doing it. It costs four hundred dollars. Yeah. So you can drive in the HOV lane by yourself. You just gotta pay the fine. Yeah. Right. Um, gamble on it whenever you want, but it's legal for a price. So having everything like recognizing when someone is actually dangerous to us as a public, us, and I include myself in that, us as the people in this country. Recognizing when someone is truly dangerous to them because they choose not to change their behavior, they're incapable of it because they have a mental illness, a drug addiction, something going on. If you can divert them and help them and they're willing to be helped, help divert them, right? If they won't, they need to go to prison. If they can reform, right? And I'm not talking about bullshitting your way through it. If they, and I'm, this is, I think a lot of cops might not agree with me on this one. If you were sentenced to six years in prison, right? You should serve that term. When you get out of prison, you have served your punishment. Mm -hmm. It's over. I don't know why we continue I'm with you. to punish people after they've got out and now make it even harder. Oh, a convicted felon can't get it. And it's true. I'm with you. Good luck this. getting a job. Good luck doing this. The only real good normal alternative, alternative they have based on their own skill set, which is criminal, is to go back to being a criminal. Mm -hmm. Hey, dude, this is the price you're paying for this. You're now a free man. You are a free American. You get go an opportunity. Vote, go buy a gun. Mm -hmm. Let him do that. You're like, you. you're going to give him a gun? The guy was convicted of criminal felony damage, went to jail, went to prison for a year and a half, right? Yeah. He did his time. <clears throat> he paid his debt to society. Yep. Right. Well, what if he does this and that? Don't, what if people don't future crime him? I'm with you, man. 100%. Don't, and people are like, you're going to give guns to felons. No, I'm giving guns to people who have paid the price. The consequence for that guy for breaking the law again and becoming a criminal again is that the punishment is harsher the yep. next time. And the aggravating stuff already exists. Right. Here's two, here's three strikes. But the whole BS of like the three strike California thing oh, God. is this one, the 16 year old kid steals a car. The 16 year old kid steals a car. The 16 year old kid steals a car. He's in prison for the rest of his life. 25, 25 Ridiculous. Life. Yeah. Right. If he's a little dumbass, Thanks, and he's doing that, go to jail, <laughs> dude, you're going to juvie. Yeah. Next thing you're going to adult prison when you're yeah. an adult, dude, yeah. this is a three year pump. I don't give a shit. Cool. He's out and he's like, screw this. I'm going to keep doing yep. this stuff. We've, you have shown us based yep. on your behavior that you're not willing to participate in society and leave everyone else alone. These are the consequences. Right. And I'm a big fan of just leave people alone. 
don't, if they're not affecting you, that's their right to do it. Your rights end at the point you start fucking with other people. That's, that's my philosophy. I got a right to free speech. You can't come to my window at night and be like, blah, 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 yelling. Now you're bugging me. Don't, don't bug me. I have a right to lay in my bed and sleep. Yeah. Right. But everything else, leave people the hell alone. Yeah, that's that's the that's my personal policy. Like, I just want to be left alone, right? And yes, I have, uh, I have. Look, I have. I don't. I don't need it to be written in law that I have a right to sleep on my own property in my own bed and not hear your music blasting next door or whatever. Just blast it in your your house, mm-hmm. not not in mine too. And I think a lot of society's problems, without getting too far in this rabbit hole, but. It's just about people being polite to one another. If people yeah. were just better and polite to one another, we would a lot of this would be solved. But the reality of the situation, not all of it gets solved. No. And I think you, you know you nailed it. Like you got violent, predatory criminals, career criminals. So there's just one more topic I wanted I wanted to handle on this, and that is this this concept of preparedness and you know being heavily involved in the firearms space. Obviously, as a law enforcement officer and whatnot. We this this com- this conversation comes up quite frequently, and that is those that are training to be prepared for the boogeyman or that worst case scenario. Uh, constantly uh, have reached a level of paranoia uh, and think that the answer is the gun. I mean, we t- we talked about that a little bit before, and that they're missing some major pieces there. And at the same time, that there's an outside perspective here: those that maybe are fighting against the two A and see these people as being a problem. You're paranoid. You're carrying a gun. I don't want you on the street with that gun. They're coming at it going, see, you're just waiting for that worst case scenario so you can have an excuse to shoot somebody. And in a way, they're not wrong because if that answer for you is the gun and that's all you ever think about, and you you brought up, like, I think you brought it up earlier, this this concept of just being aware of what you're around. Um, we've, we've, we've reached this state where... I have a tough time getting into the social media space and kind of listening to or watching what's being presented, um, taught as, a, as it pertains to this preparedness mindset, going out on the street every day and looking for the boogeyman. Uh, I, I think there's, there's a lot of missing pieces there for those that are following people and paying people to train. And I think that training community is very small, quite frankly, um, without getting too far into the weeds here. I think there's, it's, it's not as big as people want, make it out to be. I think there's, there's a very small percentage of people that actually train and take classes. Then there's a, there's a, uh, take classes to get better or whatever, and constantly seeking new knowledge and whatnot. And then there's those that think they train, but they just run the same drill or whatever they're, they're doing on a, on a daily basis. And then there's those that don't train at all and carry a firearm, and then there's those that hate all of us for doing that. And so what we what we wind up in is this, this constant circle of, well, you're looking for the boogeyman, and your answer is always going to be like, well, if I get in a fight, then I'm just going to shoot the guy. And without any consideration for all the other things that come along with that, the fact that that ruins your life, the fact that, well, okay, if you shoot at, can you shoot at that guy? Is that a thing? Like, are you able to do that? And what happens if you do do that? Like, do you know the law? Um, what if you shoot and you're not that good a shot? You're not as good a shoot, shooter as you think you are, right? Because it doesn't happen statically in six yards, you know, in six rounds, you know, or whatever. What happened? What happens with that? I'm, I've, I've, I try to be really patient with it and try to take 
the good stuff with it. But I'm having a little bit of a tough time with the space right now with regard to that. Um, and so the question in all this is, is what is your take on the training space at large, right? As it relates to the citizen, the average citizen that is trying to stay prepared and the mentality or the mindset that exists there in that process to be prepared. Well, that could be a giant, deep rabbit hole. I know it is. I'm going to try to compact it. This is, why, this is why I brought it. I left it for the end. First, identify what the, your boogeyman is. Is your boogeyman a dark shape in an alley? Is your boogeyman uh, someone walking up to you on the ATM? Is your boogeyman someone breaking into your home? Is your boogeyman the government, mm-hmm. right? Whatever your boogeyman is, right? Let's first figure out how are we going to avoid that problem or even recognize that it's yep. happening. Yep. How do I recognize that it's happening? Let's ask ourselves first, why the hell am I by this alley in the middle of the night? I was taking out my garbage can okay. and you saw a shadow down there. Okay, cool. Can you go back into your house? Right. And I said earlier, like people should be able to defend themselves. But at that point, what the hell are you defending yourself from? A guy in the alley? Your, your neighbor taking out his garbage? Yeah. Like identify what the boogeyman really is. The guy walking up behind you at the ATM machine. If you've used an ATM in the past, someone this has happens. walked up behind yeah, you. This happens. Are you aware of it? What does it look like when it's normal? When the guy's off to the car and a car pulls up and one guy gets out and kind of walks around a little bit and he's looking at you and then he comes over here. Say less. Right. Yeah, I already know what's so going on. Yeah. That do you, feels weird. How do you go about recognizing right. that and dealing with it? Or do you lie to yourself and go, it's not a problem? That's not, that's, right? that's not Deer don't lie to themselves about noise in the woods. They're fucking, they don't. Right. Snap. What the fuck was that? I don't want to find out. I'm gone. Right. I'm not saying run away. But identify it and find out how how is it that you can conceptualize ending up in that scenario, right? Well, what if I'm at dinner with my wife and kids and an active shooter comes in? All right, let's play that out. Can't avoid that. You're going to dinner. So the active shooter comes in. Tell me what restaurant you're in. Why does that matter? Because we have a scenario now. It matters. It matters. We have a scenario you now. You can't leave that part out. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up. I'm going to shoot across here. No, where, where are you at? We're at Olive Garden. Okay, cool. You don't really get a choice of where to sit. They're going to seat you at some, I don't ever sit with my back to the door. Okay, why? <laughs> so I can see everybody coming in. You think that that's the only way in? Right. Like, I sit with my back to the door. I don't, it's not that I don't care. I know what my wife's face looks like if she's going to react to something. I'm just not stressed out about it. Yep. I don't live my life in freaking panic land. You're at Olive Garden. You're with the family kids. You got your back to the, the back wall and you're watching everybody that comes in, right? Okay, so you, that's you, right? You're not in the middle of pulling up a meatball and the first round that goes off hits you in the head. Well, that's bullshit. I'm just saying, if he came in with a gun and started shooting people, I want to. I want to be able to do this. Cool. In that moment, you recognize it. Easy to recognize. It's a guy with a gun firing it in the restaurant. We got that part figured out. Right. How are we going to recognize it? It's the guy with the gun shooting in the uh, restaurant. That guy. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> is he? Do you have? What? What? What is your wife and kids? What is that? Well, my wife's this. And my one is three months old and the other one's eight. That's a problem. Yeah. Okay. So you can't necessarily scoop them up and get away with them in that close proximity quickly. Right. Or, and he's heading to the other side of the restaurant. Are you going to chase him down and shoot him? Are you going to stay there with your family? What, like what's going on? I'm going after him to shoot him. Okay, cool. Have you practiced running and shooting? Not active shooters. Have you practiced moving and shooting? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And at what level and at what speed can you do that at? And if you haven't, then the answer is you don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to time you out here. Can you even run? 
Can you even run? Are you even capable? Right. Is, are you able-bodied? Because that's a thing. <clears throat> are you in the physical condition that would allow yeah. you to act to that? That's right. a, another great point. All, like Matt talks about, like, let's talk about all the mistakes we made leading up to this yes. event yeah. and how could we mitigate them, right. right? Well, I'm working on it. Okay, why don't you work on that? And There's the, nothing wrong with shooting, but let's, let's work on firearm safety, assembly, disassembly, right. all the proper basic stuff that's too nerdy for anyone. No right. one is that uncool. Not sexy. They don't need that. Yeah. But let's just work on you dealing with your gun, handling it competently. What holster are you going to do? Where are you carrying this gun? I ca- Well, if I was there, I'd carry it this way. Well, where do you carry it every single day? Last time you went to dinner, did you have a gun on you? Well, no. Why? Because we were at the restaurant by my house. Oh, so this is the restaurant on the bad side of town you go to. It's a rabbit hole of silliness yeah. that goes down. Right. I'm trying to get to my point. I apologize. Um, if your boogeyman's the government, right? The government's coming to get me. I don't trust the government, right? There's going to be all kinds of people that get mad at this one. Do not be a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> don't be the self-fulfilling prophecy that that is your only thing that you put out You're in the projecting open. projecting it Projecting it constantly and getting likes and getting this and you get more emboldened and then eventually you say something stupid guess what happens that peaks interest and you become the self-fulfilling prophecy don't do that be private about it like i, I had a couple discussions with a couple guys yeah but I'm, then then what am i going to do on social media if i don't have something to bitch and moan about all the time post cat videos shut yeah. the fuck up whatever <laughs> so, else it might be so with you but be private about it right. right i don't discuss my family on social media at all i don't I don't, my training, the stuff that I go do when I shoot competitions and stuff, I'll post that. And if I'm going to do a thing, I'll post about that and we'll talk about it. But I don't go over my home defense plan, <laughs> right? Do you, do you even have a home defense plan, dude? I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be okay, unless I'm not. What if six guys broke in your house? I don't know, I'm probably fucked. Maybe, right? I, maybe I'm fucked. What exact scenario did you prepare for? Yeah, what it, like it's... And again, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, it's nobody's business, right? What are you able to do in the beginning? What are you able to do? I can do this and this. All right, have you trained it or been trained to do it or even tried it? Well, no, I just, but this is how I, you know, I watched John Wick. So-and-so said. So-and-so said, I should do this. So-and-so said, I shouldn't have a suppressor. That way my neighbors can hear the gunfire. Oh my God. <laughs> right? So-and-so said that I should do this. I should go to the first point here, and as soon as the door opens up, I should start shooting. Right. Well, that could be a bad thing in a lot of situations, right? got up to go to a piss. You know, what are you actually capable of doing, and would you like to be able to do that? Take the scenario away and go learn how to do that thing. Everything has to have a scenario. What about home? What's the best rifle for home defense? I don't know, the same, the one you have? Right. The same one that you train with? Do you have six rifles? I have rifles. The one that you have. Right, but the one that you have. Um, not the one in the safe. Right. It's not a good one. But like, I'm going to put an AR next to my bed. Like, do you want to live in this state of panic? Right. Because I can tell you, you're either going to live in a state of paranoia or you're going to get to a point of lackadaisical complacency and you're going to ignore all that stuff. Mm. I have hit a lot of houses with armed people in them, with guns sitting right on the table next to them. And they're just looking at me like this, right? I've had dudes take off running with guns. And just chuck that shit. We've had guys shoot at us. We've had all those things happen, mm. right? We have hit the the most badass dudes in the world, and they're caught unaware, and they're like, oh, fuck. And they'll tell you afterwards, like, man, I should have shot you up. Yeah, but you did. Yeah, but you didn't. And they like, and you're like, and you're here live with television. Like, yeah, I'm glad about that. Like, like I ain't lying. I ain't lie. I'm glad I'm not dead. Right. Because what do you think? You're going to get away? Like, no. Like, that only ends one way. Right. Um, 
I don't know, the, the training space. Um, be honest with who you are and where you're at without anything. Just what can naked you do? Mm-hmm. All right. If you have a fear of something else, do you have a fear of breaking down on the side of the road? And do you know how to change a tire? Like, do you, can you accomplish that mission task? I guarantee you that's more likely to happen than getting a shooting. percent do, can you do these things? Can you do these things? I'm not going off on the sidetrack of like, you got to learn how to make fire on your own and build shelter. Those are all great things to learn, right? But just being aware of your environment and how many times have you seen something that seemed a little weird? And that's what we tell like the new cops, like baseline normal is this zone about that big and everybody swims around like fish in it. Right. Every once in a while, some fucking guy starts jumping out of the top and that's what we pay attention radar. to. Yeah, radar. Yeah, what the fuck is that? Yep. And then it can immediately go back to like, oh, like, why is that guy running? Oh, there's a bus pulling up. Right. <laughs> ignore. Yeah. Back to ignore mode. It's all fine. Um, I don't know, man. That that would require, like, discussion and going down the rabbit hole. But the training industry itself, yep. I'm sorry I keep going. No, no, no. You're nailing it. The training industry, not community, the training industry is a business. It is a business design, who businesses do, which is make money. There are a lot of really good instructors out there who make money, but that is not their point. Their point is to pass on good information. Mm-hmm. And there are other people out there who are just putting a show on, a band camp, a fantasy, you know, a shooting camp where you get to shoot. We're going to go through. I shot a thousand rounds today. Okay, what did you do? We shot this. We did that. We did this over here. But like, did you get better at shooting? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. That's because you had a thousand rounds of practice. In four weeks, in four weeks come out and do one, each individual thing that you had just done and let's see how you do. Well, I better keep practicing. Yeah, no yeah, shit. Yep. So like all of it's, it, I don't know, man, everything's basically fucking irrelevant if you're not paying attention to what's so, going on and you're not keeping those skills up. I don't know. No, they're, they're it's usually the basic shit. It's usually the basic skills. No, so you didn't go about it in a roundabout way. I think you nailed it, and I think it goes back to what are you actually preparing for and why are you actually preparing for it? And I don't think that's the... I think that's the question that doesn't get developed very well by the user, by the consumer. And it's muddled, and it gets very convoluted when you start to get into the social media space and you see all this stuff happening. Um, And you answered it the way I thought, where I thought you, you would answer. If I'd asked you a very, very specific question, I know you could have gone long on that. Like, what about this particular thing in this particular situation? But I think those are the questions, like, while those are entertaining to kind of listen to at the end of the day, I have to imagine this is kind of the last thing I'll ask you. Like, at what point does this, like, do you get bored with this? Like, is that, I think you'll probably get asked a lot of the same questions a lot, right? And, and it seems like just the subject matter in general gets revisited a lot. And what I love about you is like you try to break it down to like, but this is what I'm taking away from this particular question that's been asked a million times because of the context it came from or, or the video that we're, we're referring to or, or whatever else. But at what point do you, at what point, if any, does this just like, I'm done with this and, and, you, and you walk away from it? I, I won't say I never, I'm not, I don't go down that road. I don't see myself getting fed up or bored with honest questions mm-hmm. from like a pure question from a pure heart. Well-developed. Just yeah, even pleasure. like, Hey, what's, even if it's like, what's the best rifle for home defense? That's my answer is the one you have, whatever one you got, go train with it. 22, S- simple answer. 22 freaking semi-auto go simple for it. Answer. That's all I have. Do I need to buy another one? Well, you got that one. That's when you have now. Why don't you go train with it? Super cheap ammo, by the way, go have fun. 
it'll work. All right. What if eight guys break in? You're, you're fucked, dude. Yeah. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, yeah. man. Uh, I, I don't see myself getting bored or frustrated with honest questions. I get some every once in a while that are just goofiness. Yeah. And I'll answer goofy. Like, would you rather fight 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. Like, whatever. Every once in a while, I'll just answer that to be stupid. But I get bored with things kind of easy. Like, Instagram, I've not slowed down. But I don't think I've posted anything in a, a little while. Mm-hmm. And But it's because I'm going like... I was going to post a picture of me reloading 40 mil shells today for training. Okay. Like just sitting there with a hammer, pounding freaking new primers into, I think we did 500 something 40 mil shells, dunk, 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 putting them together. I was going to post a picture of it. And I'm like, what, who does that serve? Mm. What good is that? Yeah, you're just posting a post. Something. I'm posting a post something and I'm like, ah, fuck, who cares? Mm. I went to the match the other day and I said, Hey, I'm going to a match. I might do a live later. I didn't have time. I don't think anyone gets butthurt about it, but I answered the questions that came in from it the best I could. But like, I've stopped just, posting things for the purpose like for just to do it and it's like if i think of something that i find interesting or it's an obvious like oh i heard about this i'll i'll make a post about it if i can um if i had fun doing it like if i shot a match or i just learned something new i'll post something like that because that's me having fun and now i got something to remember by yep. right doesn't serve any other purpose than that and i post my matches where i got 13th place last week i don't give a shit i had a freaking blast yeah. shooting with my boys um, I don't care. Like I'm out doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had matches where it's like win stage, and then like literally next to last place, I zeroed one of the stages in that last match. Is that right? Zero. I hit no steal. Well done. And I'm sitting there just going, I can't figure out what the fuck I'm doing <laughs> wrong. And I started getting mad at myself, and I'm like, I need to get back to my. I need to focus and focus on the process, and I'm gonna go through this. And I talk to myself, yeah. and I switch to the next position, and I went miss and i'm like all right well whatever it's just not working right now like right. something isn't right and it is it dope i'm not blaming stuff but i post that stuff where it's like here's where i'm at this that, is what i did yeah yeah yeah. it's not all the flash but i love that part it's because it's honest it's more fun yeah and um that's that's a really good answer it's actually very refreshing and i think probably people should probably be really a lot of people should listen very hard or very intently to to that answer because what I'm seeing, oftentimes what you see is like this, the, like why you're posting, you're posting to post. Um, I, I think you, you, if you're looking at intention behind people and their messaging, that's why when I hear you go deep or long or get fired up about something, um, and, it, and I mean that in a positive way, that makes me want to listen to it more because you're taking more time to do it. And, and I've mentioned this to you before, like if you're answering questions um, like on Instagram or whatever, I, I tend to go through all the things that you answer, whether they're funny or not, because I know you do take the time. You go kind of deep into it. There's a couple of guys that do that, I think, really well. Um, and and I always learn something from it because of the intention, and that is, like, it's an honest question. I'm trying to answer that, but I guess there's some goofy shit in there. I, I think that's good. It's human, right? Um, it's also entertaining, you know, at some level, and it's okay to have fun sometimes. Um, but the... I, I guess my the point I'm trying to make is is the way you handle you handle it makes me want to listen more when you're putting something when you do put something else out, um, and it helps me connect to like when you like I was 13th place you know or whatever like that just is like okay so the dude is human he's not a robot and he's not just trying to put the highlight reel up all all the time and um, I. I the original question about when do you when do you kind of get fed up? I think that's the answer I was looking for because I think if you can maintain it that way, you don't have to get tired because you're not wearing yourself out. 
And I won't allow that to happen. That's, I hope everybody hears that. Like, I see people just go, just wear themselves. They're working so hard to whatever it is that they're trying to do. And I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying like your message isn't important enough to work hard behind it or any of that. I'm just saying, God, like just, you know what? Maybe we just dial this back a little bit and, you know, decrease the volume and increase the, you know, the intensity of whatever it is that you're, you know, the meaning meaning behind what it is, whatever it is that you're trying to put out there. That might sound corny to people. It might feel like, dude, what are you even trying to say? I'm just saying people are trying too fucking hard. I maybe. Think. And maybe, maybe like, and I, and I have to look at this as a point of someone who only gets a hundred or so like DMs or questions. Right. And a lot of those are like a meme. Yeah. yeah I can look at it and laugh. I don't respond to them. And yeah. I, and I think people, re- not if they respect it, they just realize, yeah, oh, he saw it. But like, does it require me to go like thumbs up? Like, I think that's more of a waste, but I don't have like those. I don't have time to respond to everything that just people just send me like, yeah, no, I did you it. see the video of this asshole? And I'll watch it and I'll be like, that's stupid. Sad face. You know, but I'll, like, I'll tell me, you know, uh, yeah, I don't think, I'm assuming you said that to me because it's not, it doesn't look good and it's not, that's ridiculous. I don't agree with it at all. And I'll just leave it at that because that's between, that's one person between me and them. They sent me something right, 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 right. and I'm just telling them what I think of it. Right. I don't need to go on and pontificate about same, it. Same. But there's other things that will happen where I'm like, <laughs> who am I? Like asking myself, like guys, they have like 6,000 questions a day. There's no way like that's a, that's beyond a full-time job. That's a full-time job. Yeah. If yeah. at any point it got to that where I'm like taking time away from doing what's important to me, truly right. important. And I hate to say this, but like Instagram is not important to me. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it yep. every once in a while. The interaction, I got to meet you. That's how that's I met you. exactly why, um, why we're I've, here today. I've had positive, great interactions. I've had like dumb interactions where I'm like, that's weird. You're weird. Right. Whatever. I don't block people. I don't give a shit. Um, but the moment it goes like where I feel like I have to be doing something and I'm taking away from the other things that are actually important to me, I'll just stop. Yep. Gotcha. I just won't do that anymore. And it's think, not because I don't give a shit about people. It's because I am, and this may sound stupid, my home life is literally more important than anyone else out there. Weird. And like <laughs> the whole active shooter thing, I said that once and the guy was like, I don't agree with you. Like I told him if I was at the, fa- the mall with my family. And I heard gunshots on the other side of the mall. As I'm taking my family, we're all we're leaving. running. Fuck yeah. yourselves off. We're it's ge- your fault that you're not ready. We're like, getting out of here. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. And I go, yeah, yeah. me and my friend are there. Like we may go get in a fight, but <laughs> even then, you're making a decision to go possibly remove yourself forever from your family. And are you willing to do it for strangers? And they're like, that's where my that's that's, that's where we're like, different, dude. Yeah. You're not like even if they put the hero that saved them all on your tombstone, nobody's going to give a fuck who you are or remember who you are in a month. Your family doesn't have their dad. You're gone. Yeah. Like, oh, you remember this? And it, like a cop will come do a debrief about how he engaged the active shooter and your dead body will just be in there. Like, I'm not telling everybody to be a pussy. I'm not telling you not to get in a fight. I'm just telling you, make an honest assessment of your life and be honest about what you're really willing to give up to help someone else. And I think that decision is the cop side. You did give up a little bit of that by choosing mm-hmm. to go be one. Mm-hmm. And that means why you're on duty getting paid. I am not a cop 24-7. Yeah, that's good. You can fuck off. That's your problem. All right. If it's something major and I can make a difference in it, I'm not going to allow someone else to be victimized just like every other citizen wouldn't, just like you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not going to allow a man to beat a woman at a bus stop if I can stop that from happening. Right. I'm not going to ignore that. But if somebody went out and go, my car got stolen, I'm not even going to listen to them or pay attention. I'm just going to go to my car and leave. Right. 
No, that's not me problem. Call the cops. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's looking at commitment level, and I think people have overcommitted themselves to certain things. They've married themselves to certain things. They can't. They feel like they can't walk back on certain things, or if they stop doing it, stop. You know, whatever it's Instagram or being involved in certain things that it, they're they're going to look or be looked down upon. They're going to look as less, or they they don't stack up and. Um, they're constantly putting too much on their plate. And ultimately there's a breaking point to that. And I, I'm seeing that start to kind of show up for some, for some folks out there, because again, Instagram is a thing. Like I, 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 I have a, I have a actually a deep aversion to internal aversion <coughs> to social media just in general. But I've, I've this, right. You mentioned it. Like I would not have met you otherwise. Likely it's mm-hmm. likely I would not. And we would not have had this interaction and so for that, I always remember that when I hate it, you know, I'm like, God, this is stupid. It's such a waste of time. And I see the screen time I've spent or, you know, whatever the negative comments come, come across because I see the power and the importance of it. But I see people are, are very much overcommitted themselves to it. And now they've, they, and, or created personas or whatever else that they can't walk back from. And, and it turns into, you know, if somebody's, they're very sensitive, right? And if it, it's not good for everybody at the end of the day. So you, you, you brought it back sort of the preparedness piece and asking yourself the question, what are you really committed to doing? Um, and so that goes uh, again to the, to the preparedness question of, you know, if you're going to be that person, be that person, but let's be honest about who you really are and what you, what you're really trying to get across there and stop trying to influence people in, in ways that actually make it tougher for those on the outside looking in to accept that, okay, this person's different from me. They think a little different from me. They're a little bit more aware. Maybe I consider them a little bit paranoid, but stop making that person look at the rest of us as, as fucking weirdos. Uh, because yeah, I've taken a second look at that over there. I want to be a little more aware of this over there or, you know, you're, you say I'm being judgmental. Yeah, I am being judgmental because I've been, I've had these experiences and I've seen these things. Uh, and so I'm making a decision based on those experiences and I don't want to be here. I don't like that activity. I'm leaving this situation, whatever else. And from again, circling it all the way back, I think that the, the things that I take away from you the most are really, you, you, you break things down into its very simple form. Like, why were you there in the first place? Like, how could you have avoided this? Or like, well, what happens if, I don't know, like if this happens and maybe try this, this, if that doesn't work out this way, then move to the next thing. And I don't think that's how people, people really think. So I appreciate what you bring to the table when the discussion seems to get way out into the weeds and you call it the rabbit hole. I, I don't really think it's that at all. I think it's bringing all the things in and we've used this word a few times, like this context into, well, if you're going to ask a question, let's stop pretending that it's this simple, right? It could be a very simple answer, but you're boiling this down to something where you haven't answered all the things around that yet. And I think we need more people like that doing that in the, in the space. So I hope you don't get worn out, man. I hope I appreciate you, it. I hope you don't get, you know, so just like I'm over this, walk out the door because there's some, there's a, a lot of insight <laughs> that can be gained from, from what you bring to the table. And I've appreciated all of it, you know, along, along the, the couple of years that I've been, I came across you and, and kind of been, been seeing you. And I, and I love the dynamic that I see kind of being interplayed between you and your friends and, you know, the guys that are out there. Cause you guys are all very different dudes. Um, 
and you know those people that listen to you and know who you are know who those guys are and and I appreciate them for all the things that they do in their own, in their own way but I think there's what you bring to that that dynamic and right to that table is is what I just said like it it really just is kind of like bringing it all back to center and getting things refocused when they can tend to get off track so that's the interesting part about you saying like you go down to these rabbit holes but you always bring it right back to being on track so I appreciate that Thank you very much. So, uh, just moving forward, for those people that are listening to this for the first time, you know, I always do this. Like, where can people find out more about you if they want to listen to some uh, to you a little bit more, or um, you know, get a little bit more insight on who you are and what you do? You know, follow you and all that kind of stuff. Where do they go, man? Um, the only place I am on is Instagram. Mm-hmm. Even though I said I never would, I got on it. <laughs> Uh, five thirty two insight LLC, and it's all one thing. Pretty sure no dots. I should probably check it. I don't think it is. I made another one. I'm gonna look like at a backup, it anyway. Like a backup account. Yeah, I made a backup. account. I love that you have to look at it right now. I don't know. What it is. I love that you have to look at 532 it. Five thirty two insight LLC. No periods. No nothing. Just yeah. that. If you find the other one, that's the backup account. So you, I think you have to type the whole thing in. Yeah. So sometimes you'll find them. So like you, like you just said, like you're you're not super active. Like in your feed, you don't generally post a ton. But you will you will be active in the stories. Yeah. Occasionally, like if you're on a in a training or on a way to a trip or whatever, you'll allow for questions, and that's what I would, you know, look if you ask Chris a serious, well developed question, um, he's going to take the time to answer it, which I've always always really appreciated. And then uh, occasionally you can find you um, like in some live conversations or whatnot. You're, I know you're invited to do that quite frequently from all different types of people. And this, what you hear on this show is what you're going to hear from Chris in those situations. So if you like what you heard, go check out, go check out uh, 532 Insights and uh, LLC and, and, and get a little bit more Chris in your life. Chris, <laughs> thanks so much for joining me. After a long day, I'm sure, uh, driving all the way over here and sitting down and, and, and hanging out, man. I, I can't thank you enough. That was actually pretty fun. I appreciate you. Oh, uh, good, man. Uh, I, had a, I had a great time too, so... Um, and, and if I could just, um, ask that, uh, maybe in the future we can do this again. I'm always open to talk to anybody about anything. I, I enjoy it. I love that. Thanks brother. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.